Caesar's Palace! Las Vegas, Nevada! Site of WrestleMania 9! Here is your host, Gorilla Monsoon! Welcome to Caesar's Palace! Welcome to WrestleMania 9! And the largest toga party in the world! First time ever for me to have on a toga. I could get used to this. There'll be a lot of firsts here in WrestleMania 9. And here's one of them. Latest addition to the WWF broadcast team, Jim Ross. Thanks very much, Gorilla Monsoon. Indeed, it will be a day of first, ladies and gentlemen. My very first WrestleMania. First time that yours truly from the great state of Oklahoma has ever been in a toga myself. This is quite an impressive outfit. And I, too, Gorilla, can get used to this. What do you think of these gold shoes? How would those play in Tulsa? What a day. My first enemy to Centurion. And this guy is in great shape, which is a smile, because we're going to have a great time. Over 16,000 fans and a worldwide television audience. What a day it's going to be. Two tremendous main events. You're going to see Bret the Hitman Hart defend the WWF Championship against the 505-pound Yokozuna. And indeed, Hulkamania will run wild when Hulk Hogan and British Survivor Beefcake, the Mega Maniacs, challenge Money Incorporated for the WWF Tag Team Championship. It is indeed the world's largest toga party. What a day we're going to have. But right now, ladies and gentlemen, let's go up. You know him as Howard Finkel, but today he's Ficus Maximus. Now, according to a source whose name I didn't mention on this show, the second doink uh, was Skinner, and he went back under the ring and didn't leave until the show was over. Now, think about this. Having a wee into a cup lying on your side, is because there's not much space under there, it's pretty difficult. But how do you how do you do number two down there if you need it? Now, this is, what, a three-and-a-half-hour show? I'm going to need a shit within three-and-a-half hours, no doubt, and I suspect Skinner might have been the same. Now, if he does do a shit in, the, in under there, surely that smell is going to seep through the ring mat isn't it and then you're going to be distracted <laughs> by that wrestling so the only there'd be two smells of shit in the air it'll be that actual turd and also Vince McMahon's treatment of Bret Hart in the main event <laughs> oh sorry and, and the last two bits the match wasn't as bad as I thought it would be but that doesn't say much and Todd Pettengill afterwards was trying to take a pole in the crowd was there two doinks or was it an illusion there was some terrible stuff with some Japanese guys I'm not sure yeah. whether they did themselves proud or the company didn't, didn't did them dirty here, whatever. And uh, Todd said, yeah, probably both. Todd said he'd been drenched in beer and soda, but had never had a better day and what a miserable life he must have lived. Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Random Wrestling Review, and today we review a wrestling show that is infamous for two main reasons. The first is its unique look outside in the daytime sunshine emanating from a Caesar's Palace in Las Vegas that had been made up to look like a Roman Colosseum. And second, the general quality, which has always been considered as being on the low side. Today, we'll assess all of that and more. Joining me for this jaunt back to 1993 is firstly the polar bear, Matt Roberts. Gentlemen. How are we doing? Very well, very well. A very rigid 
absolute today. <laughs> I'm not really sure what that was about. Uh, maybe, I don't know, I'm not going to go there. I was going to go into some kind of dick thing and I decided that no, I, I haven't got the I haven't got the wherewithal to, to do it today. And also we have the tastiest herb in wrestling, Mr. Stephen Coriander. How are you doing? I'm very, very well, Ben. And I'm excited about thinking about and talking about WrestleMania 9 today. That's right, WrestleMania 9. You're the first person to say it on the show today. WrestleMania 9. There we go. An infamous show. Certainly an infamous one, I think. Um, I, I wanted to share it with you before we get going that uh, one of my Christmas presents, because people might be aware, this is the first full episode that we've recorded since Christmas. We have released one since Christmas, but uh, through some jiggery-pokery, this is the first one we've actually recorded since Christmas. One of my Christmas presents was 35 years of WrestleMania a big old book. Lovely. Uh, oh, it's like a coffee table book. Loads yeah, of yeah. stuff. Yeah, it looks yeah, really yeah. great. Official WWE book. Um, it's very strange. It's written in a kind of half kayfabe style, which I do struggle with. I wish they'd either just do it all kayfabe, but I'd be quite happy with that, or non-kayfabe, but it's not. It's sort of half and half. It's that WWE-ified mm. weirdness. And I'm hoping that at some point I'll be able to talk you through one or two extracts from the WrestleMania 9 entry, because, you know, obviously we've got this resource now, so I, I, may, I may very well use it. I also have a feeling that the people who gave it to me, they don't know huge amounts about me, and I think... They may have got me the 30 years of WrestleMania book a couple of years ago. <laughs> um, <laughs> in fairness, at that time, I was less in, involved in WrestleMania in general. So I don't know if I gave it that much of a look. But this time, it's coming coming handy. So that's, that's To be uh, fair, Ben, I would take both of those books over 18 Links Africa gift sets. Like <laughs> so, yes. yes, that was my favourite thing at Christmas, was you sharing that picture. What, who, who was giving you all that? My mum. My mum. Like, she said, oh, she said, I, I think she ordered them and she my nephew was the same so she meant to get a, t- a three for two or something but then she actually ordered nine so we got loads of stuff like loads of link stuff i'm like mom i'm 41 i'm not sure i've used this since i was about 22 so and i just chuck it in the bin like i keep the shower jar and chuck all the deodorant in the bin every year but i haven't got the heart seller i don't want it so if you're listening mom stop buying me that shit and just give me some money thank you <laughs> It's classic though, isn't it? It's classic present yeah. giving. That is Link's Africa set. I generally didn't know that that was a thing. What, oh, what, really? Yeah. What, 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 hang on, hang on. What part didn't you realise was a thing? The, like the the Link stuff. Like I've seen like you know people post stuff. Oh, Link stuff. Never had a Link set for Christmas. Did you? Have you ever used Link's though? I, I, when I was younger, I suppose I did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've, yeah. I've never really. I, I don't remember having sets of it for Christmas. That was the height of you know teenage smell, wasn't it? Yes. Link's Africa. Link's Mirage, Link's <laughs> Tempest, and Inca. Inca was one of them. Um, I'm trying to think of the others. There were there were Atlantis. Yeah. I think was another one at one point. You'd yeah. play football at school for 45 minutes, and you'd stink so like summer 25 degrees. You stink so bad. Whack a little bit of Link's Tempest on and walk back into the classroom. I remember one of our classes at primary school. In, in towards the latter part of this, the teacher came in. This was a mixed school, and she said, "Boys, you need to speak to your parents about getting some deodorant because you all stink." Basically basically so yeah yeah and then wow. and so and so you did and since then your mum's taking the heart and she yeah. just keeps getting you africa so yes more links out this will oh. give him the links effect don't you worry mm. be lovely yeah, i'm still Lynx, waiting for that to happen if there's anyone from links listening to the podcast you know, get, get on board we'll, we'll, we'll sponsor <laughs> you steven's going to be bathing in the shit for the next if you year. make me if you can pay me enough to go full-time uh, wrestling podcast I'll, I'll i'll strap links cans to my body so just <laughs> and my face just bring it on i don't think you want to do it i mean steven as you kind of know i kind of did do podcasting full-time for mm. about 18 months you don't want to do it trust me no you're, you're, 
your passion for this thing will quickly run away the minute you, you start doing it professionally. By full time, what I really mean is win 20 million pounds on the Euro Millions and do two podcasts a week. Yeah. <laughs> do it when you want to do it. Yeah. Basically. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I get it. WrestleMania 9 then. So what were our expectations? I'm going to start with you, Matt, because I, I know that you haven't seen it before. And also, you know, but you probably have heard of the reputation of WrestleMania 9. So what were your expectations? My expectations for this were actually quite high. I was looking forward to this quite a bit because I I definitely heard a lot about it. And I I won't go into too much detail at the moment, but I have a funny feeling I may just live up to my nickname of the polar bear in this episode. This is is worrying to me. This is really worrying. (laughs) Um, Stephen, what about you? Anger. <laughs> well, you posted a picture of it uh, to the WhatsApp group, uh, effectively saying, fucking hell, why am I watching this? Um, when you started watching it. Uh, and I believe you started watching it pretty much the first day of the new year. Pretty much, yeah, I did. It? I watched it on the I was back in. Uh, well, that, well, yeah, I was back in the office on the 28th and I decided that would be a good idea by myself to watch WrestleMania 9. So I watched it all in one sitting, one sitting, which is rare for me. Oh, lovely. Oh, yeah, lovely. That, that'll really help the enjoyment factor i'm sure <laughs> yes no i hadn't seen this show in a while and i think again there that what what i've realized is the wrestlemanias that i didn't consider to be very good on first or second viewing i haven't watched again like at any point or even watched any any of them at any point and this will be one of those where i was like well there's nothing on this worth watching so why would i even bother i'm not gonna i'm not gonna stick that on whereas opposed to wrestlemania 6 for example where hogan and warrior took place wrestlemania 3 steamboat savage WrestleMania five, you know, Hogan, Savage, Warrior, Rude, whatever. This one was like, yeah, there's no reason. There's no reason for me to revisit it. But a few years ago, I did watch pretty much all the episodes of Monday Night Raw running up to it. Um, because they're only an hour long, they're really quite nice to sit through, actually. And I think the early rules are actually a, an absolute joy to sit through because they're literally an hour. Well, they're 45 minutes, if that long. And there's a series of four or five matches that are pretty short, uh, inoffensive bits and pieces of whatnot. And it's kind of quite fun just to see how wrestling was presented at this point in time. So I've watched most of the build up to this relatively recently, just not the show. But certainly I was not expecting a lot from it. So let's move on to talking points. And uh, I'm going to start again with you, Matt. What, what's your talking point coming out of WrestleMania 9? <laughs> it's, kind, it's kind of centred on the opening match. And it is something that I've discussed before, is non-finishes. Whether it be countouts, <laughs> disqual- yes, there we go. Whether it be countouts, disqualifications, that type of thing. But overall non-finishes. But, but it relates particularly to the first match. Now, I don't know if you want to give away the result first, Ben. Well, there's a, there's a couple of uh, non sort of non finishes, if you like, on this, or at least not not pinfall or submission finish, which we should say, because they are finishes. They're just not they're not the nice, tidy pinfall or submission finishes. So yeah, the first match. In fact, God, I haven't even got my notes out. I've been too concerned with my Christmas present and and showing you all that to even remember to get my notes out. So anyway, <laughs> that first match is Tatanka versus Shawn Michaels for the Intercontinental Title. Shawn Michaels is the champion going in. The match lasts just over 18 minutes. Shawn Michaels and Tatanka are outside the ring. They're having a little back and forth. Michaels grabs the official and pulls him out, um, which I'm thinking, oh, it's going to be a disqualification, and it ends up being a count out. <laughs> honest to God. I-, I thought it was going to be a disqualification there as well at first, which would have been equally as shit, but oh, honest to God, right? If ever one of these finishes has bothered me before, it bothered me about 10 times as much in this match because don't get me wrong i i know that i'm a little bit prone to a bit of hyperbole let's be honest but this match 
was bloody brilliant, I thought. To the point of, I even wrote, if they keep going, for me, this is shaping up to be, and I'm not even kidding, a minor classic. I thought this was fucking awesome. I was loving it. I thought they, they were working great. They had plenty of time. They didn't oversee their welcome. I thought they worked fantastically together. And then they did that fucking finish. Why? Why must they continue to do this? This, oh, they should have just put the title on Tatanka at that point. I felt the crowd would have loved it. It would have been a great result. I felt it would have been a great start to the show. But they fucked it up and didn't have the balls to go all the way with him when I felt they should have. And they messed it up. And they shouldn't have. And these stupid finishes, whether it be disqualification or countout, they've got to stop on these shows. There's no place for them. Not on a show of this, I say of this quality. I mean, that, that's to be debated. But in general, WrestleMania as a whole, they don't, I just don't feel they have a place on these types of shows. And this is where they stuck out so badly. Because again, it really messed up what I thought was an absolutely fantastic match. Probably, in all likelihood, it'll probably be the best match I've ever seen with Tatanka. I'm, I'm quite positive that that's going to be. list. Yeah, I'm sure that's going to end up being the case. I, I don't really care about Tatanka, but I was frigging well behind him. I was like, <laughs> come on. I was like, yes, I wanted to see him win. And again, I've no doubt I'll never be that much behind him ever again. And they should have just gone with an actual pinfall. Who gives a shit? You actually want it. Just if they wanted to have Michaels win, okay, fine. Just have him win. All right, you know, they, he could have cheated to win. Thumb in the eye, roll up, grab the tights, something like that, whatever. But they didn't need to, and they have to stop doing these shit finishes. They've got to stop doing it. They couldn't have Shawn Michaels win because the tanker needed to retain his uh, undefeated streak. And therefore, they should have probably put the title on him if, if, in terms of your argument there, Matt. But I'm just saying they couldn't have Shawn Michaels win, whatever. But they've got to stop painting, like, you know, like they had, like they, they still do to this day and have done over the last couple of years. You've got to stop painting yourselves into these bloody corners. You were the well, then, bookers, book the fucking finish right. Well, <laughs> well, no, no, but the thing is, the way to avoid it is to not book the match. But then you yeah. end up got what you think is a great match. So, Matt. Well, which one do you want? I mean, I'm I'm serious. The, the way to not book yourself into this corner is to not have this match. Well, if that was the case, then yeah, then you know, if they so badly had to go with the finish, they did. Yeah, just but oh, for the love of God, just yeah, just pick a winner. It doesn't matter who it is. Just pick a winner and pick a clean finish. How way? Say clean finish, a pinfall finish. But yeah, the, these disqualification and countouts just absolutely need to go. I mean, again, I, I did think initially it was a disqualification at first, which that also would have been bad. But yeah, they they just they have to go because it, it really spoiled this for me. I, I honestly, I was really taken aback by how good I thought this was. It really, really surprised me. Stephen, what was your thoughts on the match? So I think I mentioned this is the first one I ever stayed up live for. Uh, and I remember the first thing that struck me was how odd it was that their hair was blowing in the wind. Now, clearly, I must have been like a very deep thinking 11 year old to, to pay so much attention to this. I'm also going to bring back something I know was hugely popular. Loads of postcards came in about my weather report from SummerSlam 1992. So I thought I wanted to look up. Are these people freezing? Are they too hot? 
And the weather on this day in Las Vegas peaked at 81 degrees Fahrenheit for the 4 p.m. start time. And that's 27 degrees Celsius for anyone under the age of 70 who's listening in the UK. And it dropped to 23 degrees Celsius for the close of the show. However, there were winds of up to 35 miles per hour that day. Uh, which I'm sure were quite cooling and probably caused a hell of a lot of sunburn, which I would have been involved with had I been facing the sun. Like you, Matt, I struggled to get into this. I knew what was coming. I knew I'd hate the finish, but this was really, really strong. Um, and just to close off, I actually met, met the great man, Tonka, and had my photo taken with him in, the, in a wrestling ring, the only time I've ever set foot in a wrestling ring in Fairfield Halls in 2000. And I was even more socially inept then than I am now and managed to garble out the words to Porter Tonka. I last saw you live at Wembley Stadium. A fact I'm sure poor Chris Chavis didn't need reminding of on what I'm sure was already an awful day spending it in Croydon. So as you know, Matt, having uh, spent some time in Croydon recently. So, yeah, great opener. But again, just babyface wins a title is probably the way to go at WrestleMania and have him have it for a month and screw him out of it. Have him go elsewhere because if you're going towards Michaels and Mr. Perfect SummerSlam, it don't, uh, yeah, I, I don't see what uh, they protected people too much back then. Uh, and this was a theme in WF in the 90s. I, I mean, they did, and I don't really know. I just, I just don't think they should have booked the match. I, I, that's the way I feel about it. Is that you, you don't want Tatanka to win because you want Michaels to keep the title. You don't want Michaels to win because Tatanka is undefeated, and that is really the only thing Tatanka's got going for him, to be honest. So you pull that away from him, and he's done. In fact, that's effectively what happened. He lost for the first time in like late '93, and after that, he was never quite the same. It's just it's really all he had. So you know, I, I think don't book the match. I also think that the reason they booked the match is because once again, Marty Jannetty fucked up and they were, this was surely have been Shawn Michaels, Marty Jannetty again for the second year running. They couldn't do it because Marty Jannetty was an idiot. So yeah, all of that is by the by. I thought it was all right. I didn't think it was that great. I thought it was only okay. I mean, Tatank is not a great worker and I don't think Shawn Michaels at this point was a great worker either. I think he was a good worker and he was getting better, but I, I just don't think he was there yet. And I thought this was decent, but I, I, I could take it or leave it. I, and maybe, you know, maybe Matt, my, my what Stephen said is right for me too. Anticipating the finish, I was like, well, what what difference does it make? You know, how this good match is, how much, how good, how good this match is. But yeah, for me, it, it was all right. It was fine. It just, it didn't go to the heights that you guys thought it did for me. This was also the debut in the company for Luna Vashan. So she uh, accompanies Shawn Michaels to the ring to counter Sensational Sherry. And once again, all of this stuff feels a little bit like in lieu of Marty Jannetty being there, it doesn't make so much sense. So the whole idea would have been, you know, Marty Jannetty and Shawn, Mi- Shawn Michaels fighting effectively, not fighting over Sensational Sherry, but Marty Jannetty almost being the equaliser for Sensational Sherry against Shawn Michaels. But him not being around meant that she suddenly had to kind of be into Tanker's corner and therefore Luna's Luna turned up as kind of Sean's equalizer to that. But they didn't really stick together after this. I don't even know whether or not Sean Michaels seemed Sean Michaels seemed unhappy about the fact that she was there with him. That's what I got from this. At the end of the match, he walks out and she sticks around and he doesn't even seem to like, even for a second, acknowledge that she's been in his corner. It felt a little bit like this was, this was either always planned to be a one and done thing or Sean just wasn't at all interested in having Luna Vashan next to him. I don't know which one's true, but that's how it, mm. it appeared to me. And then Luna Vashan would obviously go on to be Bam Bam Bigelow's main squeeze over the next year or so until she sold his contract, which is bizarre given that they were a main squeeze um, to Ted DiBiase and the Million Dollar Corporation. I have no memory of any of that, but thank you for <laughs> filling in the mid-90s blanks. Mate, mid-90s is where I have no blanks at I know, all. Yeah. This is all my stuff now. This is uh, this is where we're really cooking on gas. So, Stephen, what's your talking point? Oh, uh, can you guess? What am I going to talk about on this show? Who I, am I going to possibly talk about? 
I think you're going to talk about the match between Bob Backlund and Razor Ramon. <laughs> yes, I am. Bret Hart. <laughs> Why did Vince never really get behind Bret Hart? He never got behind Bret Hart. Really, if you think about the babyface pushes over time, he never got behind Bret Hart. This show on pay-per-view, and I never knew this until I was doing my research, this actually outdrew WrestleMania 8 by about 40,000 bars, which is not, you know, exceptional, but it's more. And I don't think a lot of that, I don't think you can put all that down to Hogan because Hogan was in WrestleMania 8 in a supposed retirement match and that didn't get people interested. I think you've got to put some of this on, on Brett and it's something new and it's Brett versus the big challenger in the main event of WrestleMania. And if you look forward by um uh, by a year to 1995, WrestleMania without Brett with Diesel and Shawn Michaels dropped by 80,000 buys for, for them and all the all the promotion around Lawrence Taylor. So if he if Brett ever got a proper push, Hogan or Austin or Cena or Reigns, he never got anything close to that, legitimately got behind, actually beat other top stars. And what could have been? Um, he was always a transitional champion. It was always about something or someone else, and it should have been about him. And people talk about his drawing ability, but Vince never put a rocket under him at all. And just because he had the belt a number of times, it doesn't mean that he was ever booked in the right way. Uh, and this show was a travesty. Hogan was not the answer in 1993. Yokozuna, for, for a whole complete theme of the promotion, for him to be the first proper kind of long-ranging heel champion i don't think yoko's looked back on fondly but i don't think this is the he was the guy to to be he wasn't that good to be in that position where he could you know i can only imagine some of the house show main events with, with him in it um and people not going home very happy with a kind of screwy finish at the end and it was just completely complete change of the whole way this promotion had been as a babyface promotion for so long lugo obviously they tried to shoot shoehorn in that didn't work um, Brett was the guy and he should have been treated for, treated as the guy from the time he won the title, probably to around 96, 97. But I've read, but Vince being the slimy old cunt he was, was always looking <laughs> for a shinier toy. So, yeah, that's that's my that's my thoughts. I just think a lot of us on this podcast really have fond memories of Brett. But if you really think about high profile Brett Hart wins on pay-per-view during his time as champion, it's very few and far between. He had a lot of matches with The Undertaker where, you know, screwy finishes, Diesel screwy finishes, so he got it eventually. But obviously beat Owen Hart. You know, it just he never was pushed like people have been uh, since him or before him. So just to take it further in terms of WrestleMania buys as well. So you mentioned that WrestleMania 8 drew 390,000 buys, WrestleMania 9, 430. WrestleMania 10 was again over the 400,000 mark. And then... 95 back to 340 wrestlemania 12 was 290 wrestlemania 13 was 237 the lowest of all time and it's gone by then it's too late yeah yeah and none of those none of those shows featured brett in the main event the ones that featured him in the main event were the best ones of that time yeah. so even when business was down brett actually was the best draw they had but for whatever reason vince just didn't want to strap the you know strap the rocket to him is not really the right thing to say but basically he didn't want to consistently book him in a strong way that would make him out to be the champion he was kind of like the, the fallback whenever they whenever they tried to find the next hogan and couldn't and it didn't work out they went back to brett until they could find the next guy that would be potentially that guy i'll i'll read you a little bit of uh 35 years of wrestlemania shall i please do <laughs> this is what i'm talking about about the sort of semi kayfabe thing which i'm it's weird so brett hart left las vegas disappointed he explains if Vince said to me, we're bringing Holt back and we need to put the title back on him and explain to me what they had in mind rather than letting me think I was doing a great job, I wouldn't have had a problem with it. While Hulk was back, we didn't speak until it was time to go over the finish for the match. Everything was very friendly. He thanked me and said he'd be happy to return the favour. And I said again in a friendly way, I'm going to remember that and hold you to it. 
It never happened. I think that sets the stage for a lot of things. Bloodboiling.com. <laughs> so I should I should explain what the hell's happened here because we haven't, even though I'm sure most people know. So effectively, this is uh, this is all linked to the main event. So the main event of the show is Bret Hart defending the world title against Yokozuna. It's a match that lasts just under nine minutes and ends when Bret Hart gets the sharpshooter on Yokozuna. Mr. Fuji throws the salt in Bret's eyes and then Yokozuna pins Bret to win the title. As Bret is struggling with uh, to see um, as he tries to exit the ring and Mr. Fuji is waving the Japanese flag in the center of the ring. Hulk Hogan comes out to help Bret Hart, at which point Mr. Fuji then challenges Hogan to a match there and then. And uh, that match then takes place. Yokozuna grabs Hulk Hogan from behind. Mr. Fuji throws assault again, but this time Hulk Hogan ducks. Um, Hogan hits the big boot, the leg drop and gets the pin. The match is over in 22 seconds. And I did all of that without consulting a single bit of my notes because that stuff is indelibly etched on my brain matt what did you think of it all i i you know i, I had heard about this show before but then i you know i, I forgot about it but then when i when i realized that this was going to be that show i did have a bit of a chuckle to myself because i thought oh god <laughs> some of the guys are not going to be happy with this but um it, it's, it's an interesting one for me now because looking specifically at the crowd reaction for brett considering the match was you know not that long they seemed to be solidly behind him and quite quite loudly behind him, I felt, versus Yokozuna. So I thought he certainly had some crowd support there, which was interesting. The one thing that that I did feel, specifically after watching, you know, all, all the other WrestleManias that we've seen up until this point, is that, no no disrespect to Brett and then the, the, the Brett fans, I didn't feel that Brett being in the main event, it didn't feel like a big deal to me. Like, Hogan was obviously on the, as we'll get to, Hogan was on the card earlier on in a tag team match earlier on in the night. And it felt really flat to see Hogan in that position. Now, I know you can't have guys in that main event spot all the time, but it, it really, to me, it didn't really feel right. Specifically seeing that the highs that Hogan has, you know, had got to at that point over the last couple of shows, it really felt quite odd. So seeing Hogan be involved in the main event at the end, I'm not going to like, yeah, okay, the, the the way they went about it, it, it is a bit of bullshit. And yeah, that it really did kind of put the screws to Brett and make him look like shit. But I kind of felt that Hogan was the guy. I mean, again, not thinking of, you know, where they were going or in terms of pay-per-view buys or anything like that. Just as from what I've seen, Hogan still felt like the guy to me. So that that actually felt right. So I was okay with Hogan walking away as, you know, as the champ by the end of it. Yeah, again, they, they, they definitely could have done something to maybe soften the blow for Brett because there was no need for that. That really did make him look like shit. But yeah, like I said, I mean, for me, Hogan still felt like the big deal. So for, to see him in that spot, for me, that, that felt right. I think I think the pro- sorry Ben I think the problem with um with the this finish and and Brett and I, I do kind of get that in terms if you were watching at the time Brett got the title in November uh, no October October she had Survivor Series you had him through Royal Rumble he beat Razor Ramon I think from memory uh, and then you had this so Hogan's gone in June and now whatever was going on behind the scenes clearly they didn't have Hogan nailed down for a long time or or you know whatever I know there was talk about Brett and Hogan at, at SummerSlam but what this company needed was 
whether you go with Hogan or whatever you do. And I think today you get this. I think today Brett beat Yokozuna. Um, it's Brett and Hogan at SummerSlam. Now you can talk about what you do in the finish and you can think about what that finish is right at the end based upon reactions on television and how the how the angle goes and how people perform. It's just Brett, that, that show must, it had to finish with Brett Hart triumphant over Yokozuna with the crowd celebrating and fireworks going off because otherwise you killed him. And, I, and I'm not sure you ever... Brett was, again, was great at WrestleMania 10, but it took, what, two, uh, what a year to get back there. And he, he, was, he, only, he only got the title then because Luger, you know, didn't really work out for Luger. And it was always about Luger. And I just think, if you go back and fantasy book, where would the company be? Brett beats Yokozuna. Brett Hogan in SummerSlam. Hogan slightly heals it up in the road to SummerSlam, but not full heel. Brett beats Hogan. They embrace at the end. Brett's set up for life. And you've got an, you've got a huge main event there, which I think would have done a lot of business. Um, you could even potentially say that for WrestleMania 10 if you've got Hogan on board. But yeah, they didn't do that. So I'm going to hold back my um, fantasy booking stuff because I think it's going to feed into my talking point, actually. <clears throat> but in terms of just my general my general kind of reaction to this. So I think, first of all, Matt, one thing I think you need to remember is that this is the, the shows that you've watched in terms of WrestleMania, this is a nine-year period. This isn't like they. This is each pay-per-view. This yeah. is a long old time. This would be like John Cena going over the young guy once again, if you see what I mean. Yeah. At this time, so you have to kind of keep that in mind in terms of the time. You also yeah. have to keep in mind the fact that Hogan Star was not anywhere near what it had been at one point. The the numbers bear that out the reaction to hogan bears that out even he looks less of a star because he's off the steroids by this point you know everything about him is less of a star thing he's also pretty much exhausted his hopes of a mainstream career by this point you know he's his big films are done like they've, they've been released and they've been massive flops because he's no actor whatsoever and the scripts that was chosen for him or that he chose were absolutely fucking dreadful i think sometimes it's sort of retrospective belief especially with what you would remember matt when we were talking about kiss and i was sort of saying how acts go through this kind of trough and then yes. they come out the other end as a nostalgia act that's what effectively happened with hulk hogan is he went through this trough where through 92 93 94 right through to his heel turn i guess when he was quite cool again was was big but then the red and red and yellow hogan really only got kind of went through got back to being something that was popular by 2001 2002 for that big nostalgia hit when he returned to wwe at this point it was done it was tired it was you know it was over and also going back to that thing about mimicking what was going on in popular culture at the time this was so far behind hogan's act so far behind what people were about in 1993 it just wasn't it wasn't popular it wasn't working for them so the the thing that gets me is that at this point you don't like you said, Stephen, they don't know that they've got him beyond June. So you don't take this risk. You don't put the belt on Hogan knowing that you haven't got him long term, regardless of whether you think he's bigger than Brett. It doesn't matter at that point. Business wise, you've just got to keep the belt on Brett uh, and, and go from there. The only thing I will differ from you, Stephen, on is that I actually am a bit more up on Yokozuna than you are. And okay. I think they, they did need to protect him. They had put everything into creating this sort of monster heel. And he hadn't really yet started to do anything. This was the first big match he had. Obviously, they had the Rumble, but he'd won the Rumble match. And that was the first time the winner of the Rumble was going to go on to face the champion at WrestleMania. It was the first time that was officially a part of the, the Rumble match. And he hadn't had any other major match prior to that point. But they built him up really well. He was a like really big guy, but could go. 
you know, I think they felt like there was the potential for him to be their Andre the Giant for the next four or five mm-hmm. years. And so I, I do think they had it. They again, they booked themselves into a little bit of a corner here with the fact that they couldn't have Yokozuna lose. I think they want they really felt like they couldn't have him lose. But also, how can you have the main event of WrestleMania end on a count now or disqualification or whatever? Admittedly, it kind of did the year before, obviously, with Hogan and Sid. But I think they would have been trouble had they tried to do it again. So that part of it, I think, makes it tricky because I do think they've put themselves into a, a corner. And obviously, they, they had supposedly plans to have Hogan versus Brett at SummerSlam, whether that would have meant that I don't know, Hogan would have faced Yokozuna at King of the Ring and then beat him and then moved on to Brett or whether they would, they could have done something else where, I don't know, Brett faced Yokozuna in a rematch at King of the Ring, beat him and then had Hogan face Brett. I don't, I don't know. I, I, you know. I don't know what they would have gone for. But I do feel that they were in a position where they felt that Yokozuna was an asset to them at a time when they didn't have a lot of big heel assets you know, and needed to capitalise on what they'd built in him. The thing with Yoko though, they, they did beat him in 22 seconds, didn't they? Still. That's true. Yeah, that's yeah. true. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I think I think just while you were talking, I was thinking you could do the whole Luger thing with Yoko, but not for the title. You could have Yoko come out of this. Whether Brett could do a, sw- I'd love to see Brett do a small package win on Yokozuna, but some <laughs> like something like that. It doesn't have to be like a definitive submission. It would be like a. I mean, they did it at WrestleMania 10 with him falling off the rope, so that didn't look amazing. But something like that. There's enough creativity there to have a a finish that he doesn't look bad from. It's like a fluke almost. Yeah. Brett wins and goes on, and then you do all the stuff with Luger, and you build Luger as the second babyface and then promotion. But then you've got Brett and Hogan on top. That would be great, I think. Because then there's not so much pressure on Luger. And that might have got Luger into a better position in, into 94. But yeah, you unfortunately, there's no time machines to change Michaels and Tonka finish or, or changing this <laughs> stuff now, unfortunately. All the stuff we've talked about there is about the insider booking side of it. For me, the biggest problem with this match is that it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that Mr. Fuji challenges Hulk Hogan to a match immediately after Yokozuna's just beaten the world champion. Why would in the world would he do that? That doesn't make any sense whatsoever. And that's the biggest problem with this match, mm. in my opinion, is it doesn't make logical sense from a story perspective. Regardless of what you think in terms of the value of the booking or not, the story doesn't make any sense either. So, you know, that for me is the, is the big problem. I'll go into my talking point now because it's actually the talk, you, all the stuff you said about with Hogan and it doesn't make sense making him champion. He's not going to be around until after June. There's another reason it doesn't make sense. And it's also at this point where I feel like Vince is at his least confident in it. Maybe not at this point, but certainly this this period, this three, four years. And why I've said before, it's fascinating to me, the booking of this period. He feel, It feels like he's really not got a lot of confidence in himself because he has made this bold decision to go with a new generation to the point where Randy Savage is still on his roster and he doesn't even use him at this show because he's trying to show that this is the new generation. He's let Big Boss Man go. Jake Roberts has gone. British Bulldog has gone. The Ultimate Warrior has gone. You know, he's, he's, he's let really big stars. Jim Duggan's been written out at this point and will be gone before the end of the year. Yeah, you know, he's let all of the sort of stars of the past go away. And yet... Hogan, Hogan is the is the exception. I get that. You might want to bring him back for this tag team match as an extra attraction for this WrestleMania. But then to put him front and center and make him world champion by the end of the night completely contradicts the whole of what he's doing with the rest of the promotion. It goes back to that branding thing. So WWF are trying to brand themselves as something new, something exciting, something different from what they've been previously because that old formula is no longer working. And Vince, in every other way, is going all in on it, as I say, to the point where he's not even using Randy Savage in this show. And yet, here he goes and puts Hogan into the main event and has him win the title. It just doesn't, that doesn't make sense to me. That's crazy. And my talking point beforehand was, 
the self-imposed lack of quality here because at the beginning of 93 rick flair is still with the company randy savage is still with the company both of those if vince had said rick long term i don't think we're going to use you in a big way but going into wrestlemania we're going to make you we're going to put you in a major match he would have stuck around he'd have stuck yeah. around until vince decided he no longer want to book him as a main event that was the whole deal that they had was that basically vince just had to tell him the minute he wasn't going to use him in a main spot he would move him on so they didn't need to have rick flair go before this it just so happens that vince told him i've got nothing for you in the long run at the top end of the show he could have had savage in a major match there's no reason why both of those people couldn't have been brett's main opponent at wrestlemania 9 or even at royal rumble before this why didn't brett win the title at a major show he didn't even be him on tv in the end they got like put on a video release rather than on a on a tv show i mean they they would have shown the highlights on a tv show but it wasn't kind of built to a saturday night's main event or a, or anything and they and they could easily have done that on the i think on the last saturday night's main event the main event was Shawn michaels versus the british bulldog why not have brett hart and rick flair in that main yeah. event and you know do something really big so even in that respect brett's is already his legs have been cut up cut from under him because he doesn't he doesn't get a big high profile world title victory he gets hidden away on this sort of show that's being recorded for home video and then at survivor series he faces Shawn michaels who was not at that point a main event attraction in any way and then as you said at Royal Rumble, he faces razor ramon who also only recently been introduced to wwe audiences and, and hadn't wasn't really at that main event level either i understand why what vince was trying to do i like the boldness i've always said i like the boldness of going you know what no we're going to absolutely invest in our young talent but when you then so easily contradict that by having hogan win the title in the main event of this you then you're left wondering well why brett didn't go over flair brett didn't go over savage brett didn't go over someone of real star quality which was entirely within their gift to do you could think how good i think this is somewhere in my notes but think how good a brett versus heel randy savage feud could have been and that's such an easy one they've tagged a lot on house shows because Randy was still working live events around this time, which they just didn't feature him on TV. But you could have done classic match on Raw, Savage, you know, build it up for a couple of weeks. And they would have, they do, did occasionally do stuff like this. I remember one, two, three kid and Brett was probably about a year or so after this, or maybe 18 months after this. And then, you know, they're all friendly, but Brett beats him with a, you know, a little roll up, one of my, like the, my favourite finish. And then Randy loses his mind because he's, he's lost his last chance to be WWF champion and you build it. And then you, then you do a pay-per-view match. That would be so good. And Savage, Savage was 40, 41 in this time. Like, he's not past it. He, was, he, he had good stuff left him in WWE after this. But they, as you say, Ben, they didn't, they put him with people that were lower and they never let him win up, if that makes sense. He always won down rather than up. Yeah, and 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 they could have done it. Like I said, they they were there. They had the people mm. there. I, I I seem to remember a rumor that the Ultimate Warrior. That one of the plans was for the Warrior to turn heel and for him to face Brett at Royal Rumble. That was one of the apparent apparent rumors. But you know, that, and that might have been better. But you know, the, the point was is that even when he became champion a lot of these guys were still in the company. So there was no reason why he couldn't have beaten one of them or a couple of them during this period. I mean, there's no reason why he couldn't... Going back to SummerSlam 92, if they'd had any long-term thought to this, they could have had Warrior win the title there, Brett beat Warrior for the title in a big match, then beat then beat Flair maybe at Rumble, and then beat Savage at WrestleMania or something, you know? And that would have been... You didn't even need to have Hogan lose then. You could have yeah. had Hogan do whatever you wanted. So it's when you started talking about fantasy booking, I was like, there's so much fantasy booking around mm. this because there's so much stuff before. And you're like, why didn't they do all this stuff? And also, you know, that way, if we if going back to what I was saying about Yokozuna, if they'd have kept Savage maybe for WrestleMania against Yokozuna and a Flair against Brett at WrestleMania, for example, then Yokozuna could have gone over savage yeah. clean 
and you could have kept Yokozuna as this like killer heel, built him to the next year's WrestleMania against Brett. You know, in the almost a updated Hogan Andre spot. You know, I, it, I just you're just well, like, come on, guys, there's there's so much more you could do. Yokozuna beat Savage on the road to WrestleMania show, didn't he? Uh, WrestleMania that, 10. I don't know if he did at WrestleMania 9, possibly. Oh, was it, okay. 10. Maybe I'm getting the wrong, wrong WrestleMania. But yeah, he, but that, but that goes to show what they thought of Savage, didn't they? I mean, that, you know, he he what Savage was not ever really used in a. I was say convincing. That's not the right word, but in a top way ever again, because he did did the feud with Crush for WrestleMania 10. But that's only because they were friends and Savage probably wanted to help him out. And and that you know, yeah, Savage was 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 cruel. Was you know, really badly used after this point. And it's just weird. It's just really really strange given where Vince would end up as he got older himself. In, in all fairness to guys, I, yeah, you know, I, I agree with a lot of what you said there. I mean, this show, it, it definitely felt, of all the shows we've seen up until this point, this this definitely felt like a sort of changing of the guard type thing. And, you know, for you sort of said it earlier, Stephen, I mean, as much as I still feel that it, it still felt to me a little bit strange seeing somebody other than Hogan being like the guy at the end, you know, had they gone the whole way and had Brett won and, you know, did the whole fireworks thing or just even just like a prolonged sort of celebration, it would have felt like a bigger deal and, and, it, and it probably would have felt a bit more natural. So, you know, maybe you know that they could have done that and maybe that would have felt better. I don't know. But, uh, you know, the, the show as a whole, you, you yeah, 100%. This definitely felt like a different show. And to have Hogan still be the poster boy of of the new change is a, is a bit, bit odd. Just to be clear, I, I actually don't think it's necessarily a problem going back to Hogan. It's only a problem because you're trying to rebrand yourself. That's the problem. Like, you know, it, it, it just doesn't make sense. Going back to what you said, Stephen. So Yokozuna did beat Savage on the on the March to WrestleMania 9 show. OK, right. yeah. But he also so I think they had a match on Raw in the lead up to WrestleMania 10 for the title. And I think Savage had him beat and then Crush attacked him to stop. Ah, him OK. So that's where okay. I got a little bit. They definitely did. I remember that now. Yeah, yeah. yeah I remember that. So, yeah, I just really I just think it's a, a I mean, I get I'll go back to this every time. This period for me is fascinating purely because of what decisions they're making all over the place. And it really feels like Vince is just not confident. He just co- seems to constantly be changing his mind about what he wants to do, seems to be hedging his bets, seems to be unsure. of, And also, I think he's probably distracted quite a lot by what the hell's going on outside of the wrestling world and and kind of worried about his old his trial that's coming up in the in the following year now that is all of our talking points but we've still got a little bit of time for this first half of the show i say first half it tends to not be a first half it tends to be the first 40 percent of the show but anyway we will um we'll go into the start of the show and it begins with our host gorilla monsoon uh, monsoon has a toga on and he introduces Jim Ross, who's making his debut in the in the company as well. And Ross very quickly throws to Finks, Finkus Maximus, Howard Finkel. All of these guys dressed up in togas and goodness knows what else. He then introduces Caesar and Cleopatra to the ring. They come in on an elephant and they are followed by Randy Savage, who's carried in on a sedan and is accompanied by the Vestal Virgins, they're called. And Jim Ross, his classic line at this point, Macho Man, a little grape action here. I don't know why he felt the need to say that. <laughs> but that's what he said and then bobby heenan comes out on a camel but is faced backwards as he comes out bobby looks genuinely concerned as he's taken to the ring as he gets off he falls all over the place and exposes his blue pants so our commentary team are introduced to us here 
thoughts on all that stuff and then we'll talk about the commentary team can i can i jump in first with something because i i think matt is too young for what i'm about to say but i would bet <laughs> my limited life savings that you are a big fan of the show ben that i'm about to mention mm. and the greatest toga related thing in history was an episode of saved by the bell and zach, <laughs> they all got drunk at a toga party and zach crashed his dad's car which was i think it was one of the tory episodes uh, saved by the bell oh okay there you go then but you're probably zach 10 years afterwards yes yes amazing yeah zach and kelly for life not that guy at the max that uh that ruined things in their first relationship ben are you a big fan of saved by the bell i did used to i did used to love it i can't really remember anything specifically about it but okay. i did used to watch it regularly on um was it sunday or saturday mornings when it was on uh, channel four but I can't remember the. I can remember as well. Say by the bell, the college years coming out as well, yeah. and I was like, "What the fuck is that all about?" Standing at the edge of tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> but they, didn't they? Didn't weren't the women not in that? Is that my right? In uh, they started yeah, off with none it. of them. Kelly eventually was in it, and then Lisa turned up towards the end. Yeah. Wasn't yeah, in Las Vegas because it, it got cancelled, unfortunately. You should um, both not be... unfortunately. It was a terrible <laughs> show. The original was a terrible no. show, and I, and the no, thing is, ben, no, 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 it was, it was, a, it was a terrible show. Like I did like it at the time. I did. No, it's not like Power Rangers when I even knew it was shit oh. when I was a kid. Saved by the Bell, <laughs> I liked it at the time, but if you watch it, you you watch it again now. Matt in particular will not start, won't be able to bear five minutes because it is so cringy. It's so yeah. cheesy. Screech is awful. Hate it instantly. So a few years back, I had three months off between jobs and I there's a book called So Excited, So Scared by Stuart Millard, who's on Twitter uh, and he Frantic Planet on Twitter. He, he's great. The book is so good. But Saved by the Bell, we talk about Tony Khan's energy drinks. Whoever was writing Saved by the Bell in like 89, 90, 91. So they'd ha- you'd have sorry to get on. We're, we're going to do a Saved by the Bell half an hour here. So just to warn all the <laughs> listeners, I'll try and do this as quickly as possible. But in Saved by the Bell, you'd have one week where Kelly was like a really, really good singer and like Kelly and the girls would have like a recording contract and that they would, and that'd be the whole episode and then you'd never hear anything about it again. And then six or seven episodes later, Kelly would be trying to sing and she'd be awful and the other girls would be making fun of her, even though six episodes earlier, she had a recording <laughs> contract. And then the absolute kicker of kickers, do you remember Tori from Say by the Bell? She was shit. Sorry. She was shit. <laughs> so Tori, what happened is they filmed all of the stuff the whole of the end of final series, including the graduation episode, and then NBC decided they wanted more episodes. But the actresses that played Kelly, or actors, I should say, it's not it's not 1970, the actors that played uh, Kelly Kapowski and Jesse Spano didn't sign up for it. So what they did, they got Tori in to, to have another, what, 12 episodes or 16 episodes or something, and they didn't explain it. So everyone looks a little bit older because it's after the graduation. And in America, during the first run, they'd have like one day would be a Kelly and Jesse episode. Then they'd slot Tori in, but never mention Jesse and Kelly. And then they, and then the, just the Tory, the Tory thing finished and there was no explanation. Then it went back to the graduation. That was the end. Incredible stuff. Incredible stuff. I, I don't know Saber about that well. I do remember watching it, on, as I said, in the, whenever it was on Channel 4. Um, but I do not remember all that that detail i'm you know I, it, I wasn't a religious viewer of it i gotta be honest i wasn't so it's the same thing like for me with fresh prince so i watched i never watched it at the time i just didn't mm. watch it at the time it was on bbc2 and for whatever reason my parents would be like yeah i'm not watching that shit and i never watched it never watched it until later on 
But when you, but I can watch that now and go, that's actually a good show. That's mm. still actually a good show. Saved by the Bell is not. <laughs> it's just not <laughs> in the same same level. Um, the thing about Fresh Prince though is is equally um, cheap. Is that I think in episode eight of the first season they have a recap show. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> so talk about like stretching out and really trying to make money out of these things. I mean that was that was what they did. Amazing. I get shit for it all the time, but I, I've generally never seen an episode of Fresh Prince. Wow. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, as I said, I wasn't, I didn't watch it when it was on originally, yeah. and 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 I, I so I I only came to it much later, and I wouldn't watch it a lot, but yeah, you know, I've seen bits and pieces of it. I mean, actually, it's a good, it, it, you can see why this was really really popular because it is a genuinely good show. Anyway, it still it still had that. We must milk this for every second of the of the uh, money that we can get out of it. Back to WrestleMania nine. Sorry, yeah, yeah. Stephen, any thoughts on the the entrances for these I've three? Got- a couple more things. I've got I've got a bit of a dark joke that I've written down, which I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna put out into the world. So to take take this in the in the stiff upper lip and funny way it's meant. So my now departed father. This is a good start to the sentence, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> Jesus Christ. My, my now departed father stayed up to watch a show with me because uh, I guess I in hindsight I was just too young to be stand up by myself because you know what could possibly happen to me in the house late night that couldn't happen in the day. And I still I can't believe I'm about to say this. I still believe the booking of the main event took five years off his life. And if it wasn't for Vince McMahon's first screwing of Bret Hart, then my dad would have been at my wedding. So thanks very much, Vince McMahon. Suck it all. Is hasn't been accused of enough. <laughs> is that, yeah, is that old, what was it? Old mean cunt, wasn't it? Well, that was yeah, what you called him in Slimy around? old cunt is what That's I the called it. Do you know what? Also, to look behind the curtain as well, I left these, these this paper on the printer at work when I left and then I came back two days later and it was on my desk and the front page has got slimy old cunt on it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if the person read it or not. It's so bad. Yeah, How did do, you know do, it was yours? How did they know it was yours? Well, because they know it's got random wrestling review written on the top of it so i hope that it's only one other person in so i hope she just saw that it because it was only me the day before so i hope she just saw it and put it on my desk but yeah crikey i hope she's not she's not she's not googled it but it's uh yeah not the best yeah my last thought sorry i've taken way too much time my last thoughts is randy savage did a delightful rhyme wrestlemania 9 have a good time which absolutely no one did not one person on this wretched planet and that is quite enough from me matt what did you make of their entrances <laughs> I, I loved them. They, they were cheesy as all hell, but they just so fully leaned into this, you know, Roman Caesar theme that I, I just thought it was great. I think they, they dragged a little bit. I was like, OK, it's funny. But now because it felt like it went on for like, I don't know, like half hour. I don't know how long it was, but it felt like it went on for ages. But it, it was good. I mean, probably the, the one thing that I notice above all else for me is to finally hear JR's voice on a WrestleMania show. I mean, everybody's got like their commentators and their announcers from, you know, like their era. JR has always been that guy for me. So as soon as I heard his voice, I thought, ah, here we go. And it does, it just, it just brings back so many memories. And to me, he's just, he just seems like a quintessential American sports announcer. So I hear that voice and I just think, wow. So as soon as I heard him and I was like, ah, yes. I'm probably going to enjoy the commentary more than I probably would. So don't get too excited because Jim Ross doesn't return for at least another three or four years. After oh, this. fuck's sake. Um, <laughs> and, and, what is it, 13? I think so. He was 13 or 14. He's back. Yeah, um, yeah. 
And also, I actually can understand why, because I didn't think he was very good on this show. I thought he was getting his lines mixed up. I think he, I thought he was messing people's names up. He just was a little bit off on this show. Now, admittedly, it's his debut in the company. First ever show at his WrestleMania. So that's quite a high-pressure environment to be walking into. It's an entirely new commentary team. It's not worked with Bobby Heenan and, and Randy Savage before. So all of those things are mitigating circumstances. But I didn't think he was that great, and I could understand why. They were like, eh, maybe we don't want Jim Ross as our lead commentator for now very southern he mentioned oklahoma twice in the same sentence near the start and i was like we all love a bit of oklahoma the home of mid-south but do we need it twice one thing i i was going to mention i wonder i wonder what you guys thought i thought the arena looked so so bad this this looked to me like you know like a league two team um has got (laughs) drawn in drawn in the fa cup against manchester united or something and it's like these old shitty stands uh, are like full to the brim of people but it just looked terrible and i I thought yeah what did you you, I, i just thought looking at this compared with old wrestlemania especially wrestlemania 8 like who's your dome all lit up pretty full versus this i thought this was crap only a, only a premier league football fan could say could not enjoy that look quite frankly no, because but, that that is the that is the true look of football as far as i'm concerned stephen <laughs> but i know but the thing is that's okay for that that's okay no, for that that's but okay not for you for, small people i get it stephen no 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 no, no. sorry <laughs> I, sorry I, let me let me rephrase this because i've i've been there in the old football <laughs> Film. But I think if you're watching it, if you're watching an FA Cup game and it is a Bristol Rovers, no, no, so I'm going to go fine. there. I, no, but I, but I can't even think what Bristol Rovers ground looks like, to be honest. But if you've got a, a lower league team versus a big team, that's special. That's a, that's a really good thing to look at on television. But WrestleMania shouldn't look like that. Is, is that's, that's kind of my point, I guess. Oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. It is, it is a strange look for WrestleMania. It doesn't make it look particularly good. Hmm. Do you know, I, I've been lucky enough to go to Vegas a couple of times, right? And like to know all the dip like there's so many like arenas and venues and everything that they have and yet to, to have it in you know in that specific place it did it looked tiny you know of all the different venues they could have had i mean it really did make it look not i, I think that's why they tried to to go so far into the the roman theme to to try and make it seem a bit more i don't know big time and i don't know but yeah it just it, it was quite small and yeah it didn't it didn't really look that great no, it's an interesting one because people tend to really credit WWE with the look of this show. I, I've seen quite a lot of praise for the way this show looks in the past. And I don't know when, maybe that's because I don't know what this this looks like ordinarily. So maybe it looks even worse than it looks in this show. But I, I thought it, I thought it looked okay, but and it looked very different, but it looked very small compared to previous WrestleManias. So I, I think, Matt, that most of those arenas weren't there. I've just, I've just looked up MGM Grand Garden Arena and that wasn't open until December of 93. So I think, because I know there was a boxing boxing fight boxing match here where that guy did the um paragliding down into it. i can't remember who that was around this time so mm-hmm. i think this was probably the the, the the main vegas venue i think at this point because they used to have tennis there as well some sort of um atp thing was the main thing that this thing was used for i believe they could have had it in circus circus <laughs> that, What's like in that? Circus? is there something in circus? i don't know that yes <laughs> circus circus is one of vegas is, is really old hotels mm. and they, well they have like funny enough they have a circus in there <laughs> and uh, that seems bigger and like they, they could have done it in there, and that that would have probably felt like a bigger venue. But it, yeah, it did. It, it almost felt like watching like an an old impact show. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, I can see that. I I didn't hate the look the the, the look of it, but I, I do accept that it did look a bit small. So after this is the Shawn Michaels the Tanker match, which we've already covered, and I think that's a good time for us to go to break actually, because we are about an hour into our recording of this episode. Um, so I'll let you go for a quick break, and we'll come back and we will cover the rest of WrestleMania Nine. 
It has been a very difficult and trying week for Brett the Hitman Hart, the World Wrestling Federation champ. And, of course, the odds makers right now are saying that, yes, perhaps Yokozuna will be the new World Wrestling Federation champ. I'll tell you what, I can't think of a better individual who can share with us his perspective regarding just who is going to be the new World Wrestling Federation champion, four-time champion himself. Hulk Hogan. You know, Ted DiBiase said something about it. What in the world happened? Well, you know something mean, Gene. I just left the WWF champion's dressing room, Bret the Hitman Hart, and the one thought I want to leave him with was that all the Hulkamaniacs and Hulk Hogan are in his corner. But, you know, the last couple months... These seem to be the times when people do step over the line. First off with my bionic brother Brutus, and then last night leaving the gym here in Vegas. I guess money can buy certain liberties around this town. They took it out on the Hulkster brother, but the little Hulkamaniacs pushed me towards the ring. You know, Bret Hart, a warning to the wise, brother. You're a brother. You're a Hulkamaniac. And since so many people are stepping over the line, I want you to watch this Yokozuna and Mr. Fuji like a cat, brother. I want you to watch every move. And I also want you to know, brother, that me and all my Hulkamaniacs are on your side. But as I looked into the eyes of Bret Hart just a few minutes ago, me and Gene. I know the power of Hulkamania. I know the greatness of Hulkamania. And as I looked into Bret Hart's eyes, I even questioned Hulkamania's own greatness. That's why right now, Bret Hart, I'm issuing a challenge to either you or the Jap, brother. Whoever wins the WWF title, I want the first shot at it. But let me tell you something, Mean Gene. With me, all my Hulkamaniacs, and the attitude that Bret Hart has, I guarantee you, dude, the WWF title is staying right here in the WWF, right here in the US of A. And what you gonna do? That's good enough for me. As a matter of fact, I'm calling the sports book right now. Ladies and gentlemen, standing by, our colleague Todd Pettengill out in the audience somewhere. Okay, welcome back to the show. Now, next up on WrestleMania 9, before we ever actually, before we go there, in the in interval that we've just had, um, there was a lot of talk about how coffee is a problem. So Matt's out on his third <laughs> cup of coffee. Apparently didn't sleep very well last night, I think, because he was worried about what Vince would do to WWE again. And Stephen <laughs> also just had, a, had a, a rather nasty deposit to make, which he termed a WrestleMania 9. So, you know, coffee's been the order of the day this morning apparently i've not had any coffee i don't really drink it the other thing i wanted to say because we've we've already spoken about the main event so i just want to get to this as well a couple of weeks ago a couple of episodes ago Stephen, you asked us what our relaxing music would be in the bath ah. i've realized what it would be yokozuna's theme <laughs> i love yokozuna's theme. i just love it i always have it's so very very relaxing about it i really enjoy it so yeah that would be, that's my answer. Delayed. Still prefer, still prefer De flying without wings. <laughs> oh, and also I listened to Matt's choice because I was like, oh, I'm just eager to, you know, just curious. I mean, I didn't understand how it could be relaxing. I mean, you know, it was a relatively mediocre song, but I was like, how can this be? This doesn't even sound relaxing. It's like almost a little bit housey. <laughs> it's a bit weird. It was, it was JLS one shot, I said, wasn't it? I yeah, I think so, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, just yes. that, that, that opening bit. Oh, it's just so nice. But it lasts about 40 seconds. I mean, how can that be relaxing? And then suddenly, and you're like, what? How is this relaxing in any way? 
Um, anyway, next up on the show, Gene Oakland is dressed in Roman gear, as per everyone else, and is joined by the Steiner brothers. Scott says that they are very excited about their first WrestleMania. Rick says they'll do what they do best, which is to wrestle and make Julius Caesar proud. This precedes the Steiner brothers versus the Head Shrinkers, which is a just a 14 and a half minute match. And it ends when Scott hits the Frank Steiner on Samu for the pit. Stephen, your thoughts on this one? Jim Ross says slobber knocker for the first time ever on WWE television during <laughs> so, this. Yeah. Did, did. And Bobby Heenan ripped him a new one, as I think was absolutely right to do. <laughs> yes, uh, Bobby Heenan had the line of this match when Ross announced that Sherry had been attacked backstage by Luna. Bobby said super in a hilarious, <laughs> hilarious way. Steiner, I thought I don't know what they would do. They, they did like a hot shot on Scott Steiner and he went beyond the top rope. So I don't know whether they tried to do this, Ooh. but it looked like he was nearly killed with this. But yeah, I, that was a really scary moment. Rick hit an incredible midair power slam uh, and then Ross shouted Steiner line as Scott hit the Frankensteiner for the win and I'm sure a little bit of him died inside uh, when that happened. I thought this was decent, albeit it felt quite long and these were two uncharacteristically lengthy matches to start WrestleMania, I thought. I, I, I think you're probably right there. 18 minutes and 14 minutes, yeah, pretty long, man. Mm. I, I love this. <laughs> really, really enjoyed it. I, I, I totally agree, Stephen, we, yeah, with, uh, you know, they sort of dropped. Was it, was it Scott Steiner? Yeah, it was Scott that they yep. sort of dropped on the top. I thought, bloody hell, that looked dangerous. I mean, I'm not sure if somebody messed up or something there, but that could have been really catastrophic. You know, thank God they managed to avoid that. But then he got smacked by a ridiculously hard kendo stick shot, which I can still hear ringing in my ears now. <laughs> <laughs> after seeing that but yeah the, this was really good I, I, it was quite two tough teams you know the, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if you know all as individuals have reputations for being quite tough guys because they, they certainly seem it it was quite sort of smash mouth at times you know a lot of sort of stiff kicks power slams that type of thing I mean what one thing that really stuck out to me is that I didn't even sort of think about really is how long Rikishi has really been in the business my god he has been around a long time hasn't he but yeah like I said I, I really enjoyed this the Steiners this being their first Wrestlemania for me sort of you know backed up that this felt like you know a, a change and this was something different and new and this this was a really good match really enjoyed it the Steiners bro- Steiner brothers is a tag team only Wrestlemania in fact um, Rick Steiner didn't ever have another Wrestlemania appearance this is about as perfect as wrestling gets for me Steiner brothers versus Headshringers mid 90s love both these tag teams and this was lovely this was a lovely 15 minute match and I enjoyed every moment of it I thought it was great the Frank Steiner was a bit slow from Scott at the end that was the only thing that I thought was just a little bit off but everything else is great clean clean victory match the night for me easily thought it was really good refereed by Bill Alfonso so it had all kinds of things going on there. Mm. Jim Ross's first Slobberknocker was... referee by Bill Alfonso yeah great Steiner's music their entrance theme is fantastic it's, I think it's just a I think it's just the Michigan State University song I think but love it guys more of that please yeah I just thought it was it was really really good that stun gun attempt that you both talked about was uh, was a bit mad but Scott Steiner's mad like every yeah, yeah. his whole career is mad watch watch every match he ever does he does something nuts every single time <laughs> this podcast has massively opened my eyes to the Steiner brothers and Scott in particular I just think he's just great for most of his career obviously later stuff his WWE you know run in the early 2000s didn't didn't end up being quite as productive but god his stuff in WCW and the, this sort of year and a half that he's in the WWF is just just great stuff I just say, did Scott ever wrestle a Wrestlemania again well I don't know I, I figured he must have done 19 20 21 somewhere around there but maybe he didn't he was around the company at 19 20 but i don't think he was on the main card i can't remember 20 uh even though i was there so you think i should be able to remember that um but i don't I, remember I, I don't think he did either you might be no. right you might be right yeah. the, the other thing about scott steiner is i'm sure it's on bruce pritchard's podcast so you think this source wise that's pretty strong 
that Scott was in consideration for the mm. WF title around this time in the Luger role that came afterwards and also the WrestleMania 9 role. So I think even going back further than that. So, yeah, clearly he was uh, he was Scott, Scott Steiner was great here. Like he the, the people that are slightly older than me stateside, absolutely the Steiner brothers and stuff like the, the stuff in Japan, the stuff in the States, they absolutely love that. And I, I think the same, Ben, the more I see of them around that time, the better they the better I think they, they are slash were. I'm going to say something controversial. I actually would have now retrospectively loved to have seen Scott Steiner get a main event push in mm. WWF in 93, even maybe over Brett, even though I think Brett's a better worker. I think Scott's got more, If how do I put this? Because of Vince's attitude to the way people look and Scott being a bigger guy, more muscular guy, I think he would have stood a better chance being a major star than Brett because Vince would have got behind him properly. So it's about the booking, isn't it? Of course. Yeah. So, you know, I, 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 yeah, I would have loved to see that. Retrospectively, I think at the time I'd have been like, what's going on here? This is a strange tag team wrestler suddenly getting the main event push. But that's just, uh, that was just my perspective at the time. So after this one, Gene Oakland is backstage again, this time with Doink. So this is, this is where Matt's real peak of interest comes, I'm sure. He's already desecrated Caesar's statue by painting a clown face on it. Um, we see footage of Doink attacking Crush with his arm cast on superstars. Then he says that he is bringing a sense of humor to WrestleMania 9. He guarantees after WrestleMania, Crush may be seeing double vision. Now, I this is another thing. So the other thing that I did when I was watching all the rules in the build up to this WrestleMania was I also watched the superstars at the time because they're all available on the WWE Network. And there's some good stuff on there. There's some a lot of nonsense. There's a lot of um, squash matches and the majority of his squash matches. But one of the things that is on there is the Yokozuna attacking Jim Duggan and making him bleed and all that stuff. And that's a genuinely quite impactful angle. This was another one that's on Superstars as well, where basically Doink pretends that he's got a broken arm so can't face Crush in a match and then attacks Crush with the cast when Crush's back is turned. And that's what's led to this match. The match itself is eight and a half minutes long. It ends when Crush locks on his kind of head vice move um, but then another doink arrives from behind hits crush with another arm cast the doinks then perform their little illusion dance as i've called it and then doink pins crush afterwards bill alfonso comes out to inform joey morella the actual official for the match what had happened but when they look under the ring there is nobody there matt how did you feel about this i think this is the first time we've seen doink as a heel is that right yes it is actually and i can't believe i'm gonna say this he was all right <laughs> He is all right as a heel. He is all right. It, it was virgin on. Like, it was just, it was quite creepy and, mm. and unsettling. So I was like, okay. I mean, like, I can, I suppose I can get on board with that. I, I didn't rate the, 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 you know, the the finish, the, you know, the, the mirror image type thing. I was like, that's, again, just a little bit too hokey for me. So I, I can't say that that worked. But, you know, as as far as, as, as a doink the clown match goes, I, I generally was expecting the worst and was pleasantly surprised. By all means, it's not the match match of the night or anything nor is it anything you know particularly special to, to write home about but again for a dunk the clown match this was pretty good who knew that crush's entrance music was an absolute tune i couldn't remember <laughs> this at all and also i must be honest at 11 i bloody loved hawaiian crush i remember him from demolition i like the i like the baby face turn. i was in on on uh, crush and 29 years on i still quite liked his outfit a lovely sunset romantic sunset on the back with some birds flying great stuff and a delicious highlighted mullet so uh yeah interesting i mean i do i quite like the doink the double doink stuff not be because i think it's meant to not be 
it's not meant to be an illusion. We're meant to know it's, a, it's not an illusion, and therefore it's just meant to be a heel almost playing up to the idea that he thinks he can get away with this stuff. So I, I don't think it's a problem. And he is super creepy as as the heel doing. It's a great shame that they chose to go babyface. And also he, I think, had his own personal demons. And therefore, I think it was Skinner was Steve Skier, Steve Kearn, wasn't it, I think? Yeah. So I can't remember who. Ray Apollo maybe took over his uh, think yeah, for Matt Bourne, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Matt Bourne was the original Doink, and he was really great at it, but then when they turned him in face, it became someone else, and it was never as good. This isn't the first time Matt Bourne's been, appeared at WrestleMania. Of course, he was at WrestleMania 1, losing to Ricky Steamboat, so two WrestleMania appearances for him. More than more than Rick and Scott Steiner, unbelievable. There you go. I, I thought this was, well, it was Crush, wasn't it? Let's be honest, it was Crush. I mean, Crush is a terrible, terrible, terrible wrestler. In terms of his outfit, I actually prefer his heel outfit that he would have later in the year, the sort of black and purple. I found it odd as well. They must have had big plans for Doink. I found it odd that they had Doink go over Crush, regardless of how he did it, because they, they obviously had big plans for Crush. I mean, eventually, you know, over this sort of year or so, he, he, they would give him quite a few pushes over the, over the course of time. He would end up facing Randy Savage in WrestleMania 10, for crying out loud. And yet they put Doink over here. So it was almost like they, they they obviously felt like they had quite a lot in store for him, but never really never really came to fruition. Yes, then Todd Pettengill makes his first appearance as far as we've seen him on this WrestleMania run. Another part of that new generation. And yes, he's with a couple of Japanese photographers. There's some poor stereotypical stuff here going on. There's also, I, I don't know. There's all kinds of, there appears to be some problems with Todd in general because he's up in the crowd. The cameraman doesn't seem to be able to follow him the way he wants to be able to because people are getting in the way and as you said he's he says he's covered in beer and soda he's just what todd is doing here is bringing the one thing that todd has got which is enthusiasm Mm. and never let him down so can't argue with that i suppose just wait until he comes back later (laughs) and actually for us ben wwf mania that's the only way you could watch stuff from raw wasn't it i don't know because i wasn't watching i don't oh you're not quite there yet even though i was even though this is where i started watching i wasn't Mm. actually watching on a weekly basis because we didn't have sky so i basically just picked up whatever i could from anybody on vhs video you know anything i could get my hands on so this period i know really well and i've revisited quite a lot Mm. but no i didn't watch mania back in the day yeah but todd todd does hold a special place in my heart because he also was the guy who did all the countdown shows on the vhs's and that was how i started watching so SummerSlam 94 WrestleMania 10, those countdown shows, I can still almost quote Todd Pettengill as you go through the show. Okay, so, you know, he's still a big, he's still a big thing for me. I didn't realise that, that that 30 minute preview was on those because I never had any VHSs yeah. from the mid 90s at all. So that's interesting. Yeah, they didn't. They were great out. as well. Um, they were really yeah. good. And actually, when we did WrestleMania 10, um, which will incidentally be reposting next week on this feed. Um, when we did WrestleMania 10 last year, I found it really grating to not watch that before the pay-per-view mm. because it gives you all of the all of the backstory to all the matches which doesn't come in the middle of the show it, it does like maybe one or two matches but most of the matches you don't get that context mm. whereas in the, the countdown gives you all the context and i think it's i think it was just i really enjoyed them i think they should be on the network somewhere anyway so next up is a strange old match i have no idea why this one's on here so it's razor ramon versus bob Backlund. it's a match that goes for less than four minutes it ends when as Backlund goes for a slam of some kind razor uh executes an inside cradle for the victory the wrestler being out wrestled even though the wrestler is a baby face goodness knows what this is about um there's lots of chats for razor during this even though he is the heel bizarre steven why why is bob Backlund featured during 1993 and 94 when Randy Savage is not. 
So, <laughs> yeah, it's a so bit bad, this, isn't it? It is. It's ins- it's insanity. Bob Backlund was terrible, terrible in this match. I did like the small package finish, but it just it blows my mind that you're wasting time on this guy in a youth movement. This is nuts. Rick, yeah, as you say, you had Flair, you had Savage, you had Hogan. What are you doing with this guy? Uh, I don't, I don't, I don't get it. Awful, dreadful. Yeah, you can't. You can't there's not a lot to say about this. I mean, I, I've literally pretty much got written down. It was a bit of a nothing match. I mean, the, the only thing that sort of really kind of stuck out to me is, uh, I think it was Razor took, you know, sort of two hip toss bumps, and I got to be honest, they, they looked a little bit nasty. So I was like, ooh, made me cringe a little bit. But other than that, yeah, I mean, you know, Razor out wrestled the, the the wrestler. I was like, oh, okay, never mind. Let's move on. Let's. It is just bizarre. I mean, I like Backlund's heel turn in '94 and the the stuff he did there. His, his character work was sensational, as far as I'm concerned. But equally, Stephen, you are absolutely right. Why do you think? Why are you deciding to use this guy when you've decided mm. that it's not a good idea to use Savage because it makes you look old? Backlund doesn't even look like a modern pro wrestler. He looks like something from 1970s, you know, wrestling, and and that's always been the antithesis of what Vince likes. I don't, it just doesn't make any sense. Right. It's again that one of those things where like, what is going on in Vince's head during this period? It's just really odd. I will say this for Backlund before this Rumble '93 is a great Rumble '93. Comes out number three. On, on the in the match and and gets to the last three and over the course of time so when he first comes out there's absolutely no reaction to him whatsoever and as the match goes on slowly the fans get behind him during that Royal Rumble night three match um, and there's genuinely a lot of booze when he finally gets um, eliminated but he would do nothing in WWF until that heel turn in 1994 mm-hmm. second half of 94 and that was genuinely quite good and obviously led to him actually being world champion very briefly but yeah, I don't know what they were thinking at this point. Razor, meanwhile, was very much on the path to becoming a major babyface at this point. He was already getting cheered here. Ultra cool, looked the part, looked absolutely great. Basically, this is something we've been harping on since episode one, way back two years ago nearly now. But Razor is one of the most underrated in, in-ring performers there is. He's just, he's just great. He's just absolutely great. Yeah, I completely agree. And he's a big guy, yeah, definitely. So then... Gene Oakland is backstage with Money Incorporated. We see footage of the Money Money Incorporated turning on Jimmy Hart and hitting Beefcake with IRS's briefcase. This is after Beefcake had attempted to make a comeback to the ring uh, after his paragliding or parasailing or whatever the hell it is uh, accident in which his face had basically been rearranged and they had to like, do a major surgery on it. DiBiase says that they don't make bets that they can't win. He says that they can't be bankrupted as they have unlimited funds. IRS says they're going to take Beefcake's mask off and beat his face into a bloody pulp. They also allude to Hogan's black eye, suggesting that they paid someone to attack Hogan coming out of the gym. We'll talk about his black eye in a moment. Now, the whole build up to this was indeed Beefcake trying to come back. The thing is, we'd seen Beefcake at WrestleMania 8 the year before and his parasailing, gliding, whatever it is, accident had happened. The the year before which as we discussed a little while ago Stephen kept him out of the SummerSlam match he was going to have with Mr. Perfect after Perfect yeah. became Intercontinental Champion so they were they were mucking around a little bit with the timeline here because obviously Beefcake had been around although I guess in fairness at that Wrestlemania 8 before Wrestlemania 8 on the barbershop interview segment there was that moment where Sid got in Beefcake's face and there was concern that he would attack Beefcake and didn't so they I guess they kind of kept a bit of consistency there but ultimately this was another whole year after that they really started to use that as a storyline device any thoughts on the promo or the build to this match I just thought Ted looked absolutely gorgeous absolutely (laughs) gorgeous white and gold suit world tag team title belt 
Crikey, this guy, this guy was phenomenally good looking in Mid-South or UWF in like 85, 86 and, and before that. Now, still old, oldie but a goodie here. Crikey, what, what an absolute <laughs> gorgeous hero. That's, that's my only thought on this. <laughs> Other than this this angle, again, WWF Mania didn't get raw. The beefcake stuff was heavy, heavy duty when I remember watching this at the time. Uh, like the doink one was that you pointed out earlier on. There were some heavy angles around this time for this WrestleMania. Mm. Well, I actually, I saw a lot of this stuff on the 1993 review of the year of the year in review vhs originally so like that was the way you could watch much more in one go you know you didn't have to necessarily get the pay-per-views you could get the vhs which is the review of the year and they were really quite good actually they give they gave you quite about a three-hour kind of overview of everything that had taken place and because there weren't huge amounts of angles like it's not like today where every single episode you get angles and and whatnot it was almost like even on raw back then maybe get one angle every two or three weeks you know that was worth anything that was important of any kind so it cut you cut they cut you kind of could get to see everything and that was on there and i always remember this feeling quite impressive the whole build mm. to it the angle itself because they really made a big thing of beefcake and the fact that his face had you know been crushed and all the rest of it you know and all that stuff so that was that was really good then the match itself and as they come to the ring hogan has, is indeed sporting a pretty nasty black eye now this is the stuff of myth and legend and goodness knows what else so they explain it away as we said as if the million dollar man ted dibiossi um and irs paid somebody to attack hogan as he came out of the gym now very quickly scrambling my 25 years of WrestleMania, oh, 35 years sorry, I can see it coming and I'm excited. I'm really um, excited about this. Are they going kayfabe or are they going non-kayfabe? Well, they're going a bit of everything because I, okay. think, I think there's kayfabe behind the kayfabe in this in regards <laughs> to this. So they talk about the fact that Hogan has had a jet ski accident the day before and that they even talk about that. So this is what this is what they've said. As WWE stood poised to take over Las Vegas with WrestleMania, an unexpected issue arose. Hulk Hogan suffered a jet ski accident near his home in Florida, badly injuring the left side of his face. It was uncertain if the Hulkster would be able to perform. Though Hogan was a late addition to the program, not sure what I mean by that, WWE worried about the effect of pulling him from the event. After all, Hogan was the biggest name in the history of the company. Because of his drawing power, WWE decided to announce the possible change to their pay-per-view audience and ticket holders, offering refunds if necessary. They felt it was the only correct thing to do for the fans and for their event partner, Caesars Palace. Now, I I doubt any of that actually happened. I don't believe for a second they suggested Hogan might not be on the show. I certainly don't remember anything from the time. I've gone back and watched as I said, a lot of the shows at the time, there was definitely nothing on no. uh, at that time saying that was the case. So, yeah, Hogan, according to WWE's official account, is the jet ski thing. They talk about the fact that they kind of baked into the storyline with the Million Dollar Man, etc., and the gym um, attack. But, of course, there is an alternative theory or idea about how this all happened. Who punched him? Well, according to Jim Cornette, this, mm. is, this is from, Randy Savage punched him when he found out that Elizabeth was staying with Hulk and Linda at their home. And so Savage confronted him and punched him in the face. Now, I don't know what to believe here, because to be honest, he's only got, I mean, it's a nasty looking black eye, but it is just a black eye. There's nothing else. And there's no other sense that in his face, he's like taken a major blow from a jet ski. That seems like, it seems like a Hogan kind of beard Hogan going, look, I'm, look how strong I am. I managed to stand up to a jet ski and I'm still standing. So a punch seems much more likely to me but, you know, I'm considering the source and it's very difficult to decide who, who to believe. But one way or the other, those are the those are the stories that are out there. So you can either believe the kayfabe version or the behind the kayfabe version or the ultra behind the kayfabe version is up to you. I leave the I leave the choice to yourselves. 
I really hope Randy decked him and he deserved it. <laughs> deserved everything he'd done. Randy said on commentary when he came out and saw the black eye, it had to be a cheap shot, which takes on a very different meaning if he actually did do it, which I like even more. But yeah, we'll never know. We'll never know, will we? So this match then is a 18-minute match for the WWF Tag Team Championships. This is Money Inc. defending against the Mega Maniacs. They have Jimmy Hart in their corner because as part of this angle, Jimmy Hart showed compassion towards Beefcake, tried to stop Money Inc. from smashing him over the head with IRS's briefcase. The end, though, comes when the ref goes down, Hogan gets the hot tag, Hogan hits Money Inc. with Beefcase face mask because it's previously been taken off by money inc jimmy hart then gets in turns his jacket inside out to reveal a striped jacket and pins money inc as if he's the referee he then hands them the title belts but another ref gets in and dqs the mega maniacs uh, after the match the money inc try to attack the mega maniacs but they are run off jimmy hart then throws danny davis who is the referee for this match over the top rope and beefcake and hogan strut and pose after the match as should have been the last we saw of hogan in wwe for nine years but it wasn't <laughs> what did we think of this one matt well it was another one of those finishes which i just i just don't need to keep harping on about but my god it, it wasn't good and correct me if i'm wrong but i'm sure the ref didn't actually see the weapon shot because he was down wasn't he probably not yeah which i was thinking what the fuck? How, you know, it felt very, can, it felt very messy. I thought. Yeah, because then the other ref comes out and DQ. I was like, what? I was like, you, you didn't see what happened. And uh, God forbid, maybe he was watching a monitor in the back, as as they often do, I suppose. But yeah, I can't say the finish was great. I mean, the one thing that they did do that that I did like, and they, they've done it before, and I just, I love it. It's great, and it's probably just a mess up. But Hogan will start beating people up while his music still plays. Which I just think is so great. Every time I see Hogan kicking ass in the ring while Real American is playing, screw the match. I just want to see him beat the shit out of people with that song playing. It's, it's not. It's not a mistake. And I think what it is is that basically he's come out. The heels attack him. He then gets the upper hand, throws them out, and finishes his entrance. Mm. That's the idea. It's great. <laughs> Honestly, I'd be so happy if this keeps going, but I, I know we probably won't see that much of it now. But yeah, I, I've loved that. That's for me. That's one of the best things in his matches. Like I said, you know, like I said earlier on, I mean, for me, this did feel. This felt like a come down uh, for, for Hogan. This sort of spot. It, it didn't. It didn't feel natural to me to see him in in you know sort of a roll halfway down the card. It just it, it didn't quite feel right. Um, and, and in the match itself, I mean. You know, it, it felt a couple of times that they were building up to the hot tag to, to you know, to Brutus. I was like, really? I was thinking, you know, surely again, Hogan is probably going to be the star of this. And to see Brutus get the hot tag once or twice, I thought that was odd. But as a match, it it, it was actually, yeah, it, it, it wasn't good. To be honest, it was actually quite bad. Quite long, boring. There wasn't much to it. Uh, I mean, Hogan's selling, to be fair, again, is just top notch. I mean, it did drag a little bit when he, you know, he was selling being choked by the tag rope for bloody ages. It went on for far too long. But yeah, like that, like I said, that finish just again just wasn't great. I mean, one thing that did make me laugh was Hogan did do. I'm sure they reference it as an Undertaker sit up, um, which <laughs> did make me laugh. He did do the old sit up. This wasn't this wasn't a great match, unfortunately. The the, the officiating was terrible throughout because the ref the, the original ref decided to go against years of tradition and just make up in the middle of the match that Money Inc would lose the titles if it was a count out, which is a complete farce. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So indeed. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna say something on this. I go like on, on. I like this because my issue with this is that so we we had it at WrestleMania eight right where the Money Inc walked away from the ring. 
to get intentionally counted out so that the natural disasters couldn't win the belts. Now, I know that would have happened before, but let's just say that was the first time it ever happened. Okay, At that point, any other sport of any kind would have worked to close that loophole. They would have gone, you know what, actually... If you intentionally do it, you're going to get stripped of the belts. That's just going to be a thing. So I quite like that if you follow that logic through from what happened the previous year, that the referee was responding to that and going, you're not getting away with it again. We're going to, or you're going to lose the title. So I quite like that. I mean, I do question how the referee himself had the right to make that ruling. But I do quite like that factor because I just think it, I think the fact that it, you could do that, the fact that you can intentionally get counted out or disqualified is, is a ridiculous thing. I think it's good if you've had it done once. But I think once it's done once, the response should be, we're closing that loophole. You can't do that again. Got to do it pre-match, haven't you? Make it well, no, but that's, yeah, I think that's my point. Yeah. You're, you're, no, that, you're right. That's why I've kind of questioned the referee's decision to do it. But I think ultimately what should have happened straight after WrestleMania 8 is Tunney should have been like, well, you can't do it. We're not allowing that to happen again. If you do that, anybody tries to do that again, they'll be they'll be stripped of their belts. Useless Jack Tunney. Um, Matt, <laughs> I actually think that this is this this was the role for Hulk Hogan in 1993. I think that put the titles on him and Beefcake and build up tag team matches on pay-per-views, build up the world tag team title again, and then you haven't got the shadow of Hogan over the main event picture. And this, do you know what? I, I don't know if it's just me or, but when I was a kid, stuff like this would really intrigue me. So Hulk Hogan, the, the WF champ, multi-time WF champion, being tag team champion would really intrigue me. That that, that sort of thing appealed to me. And I, th- I think that appeals to, you know, it's always something different with Hogan. And I think that's what the company was crying out for. And I think if you, if you book this show, you had to Tonka win the opener as Intercontinental Champion, you, and you had Hogan and Beefcake win these titles, and then you had Brett win the end, what how how does WrestleMania 9 then look? I think that's a happy show. I think people are coming away from this with, you know, got we've got this new thing with Hogan, you know, the tag team titles has probably never been more promoted. You've got Brett winning the winning the main event. I think it would have been a great, a great place. But as it was, this this was it kind of dragged a bit for me. And I thought Hogan and Beefcake celebrating after the Jimmy Hart count was so stupid. It's like, come on, guys. Just like a pair of absolute bell ends here. So yeah, <laughs> um, disappointing really. I mean, it wasn't a good match. I, I question, I mean, I think you're right. I quite like the idea of Hogan and Beefcake winning the tag titles and then having matches against, you know, the Head Shrinkers or whoever else, you know, it's in the tag team scene at the time. Hell, the Steiner Brothers, that would be fun. Quebecers later in the year, you know, that that, that works as well. You know, the, the French Canadians against Hulk Hogan builds itself. It's easy. But I do question this in terms of if, 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 if they already had always planned to have Hogan effectively not win the titles with Beefcake here. I do question the choice to go with Money Inc. It feels just like a retread of mm. so much ground already, you know, gone through with Hogan and DiBiase. You feel like if you're going to have Hogan on the on the big show, I always feel like put him with somebody young and new and someone that he can, his reflected glory can, can actually benefit them. You know, I, I just don't see why you put him up against Ted DiBiase and IRS, Ted DiBiase in particular, who's going to retire before the end of this year. It just it just feels like a waste of a waste of something which you could use for somebody else that, you know, put him up, put him up against the head shrinkers. And suddenly the head shrinkers feel more important than they mm. than they do as a sort of almost opening match tag uh, outfit as they were at the time. So, yeah, I just I, that's what I question. It just felt tired. Yeah. 
it just felt tired right from the start because it's DiBiase. As much as I like the the angle, I just feel like you could have done that same angle with anyone. You didn't need IRS and Tid DiBiase to do that angle. And yeah, it just feels tired because we've done it. We've done Hogan and DiBiase countless times. We've had Hogan and Beefcake against people countless times you know, of that era. So let's give give them somebody new and young and make it a bit more fresh and interesting. I think you could have, again, I don't want to fancy book too much, but you could have had Hogan and Beefcake as tag champions. You could have done the Luger stuff with Yokozuna and had another baby face. Like, let let these baby faces be, you know, pop, you know, popular and winning and that's okay. You can have multi... Like, I, I, I think right, Roman Reigns is the exception to this rule, um, but I do think the top baby face, your top baby face in the promotion is the one you need to try and protect almost the most i think i would put that as one and then the, the top heel is 1a unless you've got a heel so good that you're going to go heel promotion like reigns and he's just going to win and win and win and win build up the the actual eventual um loss but then that 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 in history if i think about that historically i can't really think of too many heels that have had that that role who, who is it because undertaker was obviously a baby face had well, a similar sort of thing in the streak it's not in not in wwe but fair ultimately yeah, but he's, he lost a lot though. Flair, I suppose, is the only thing. Like, if you look at his reigns, they were. He'd they always were win of... the belt back though. Yeah, they? he like, would he very would, quickly. Would. You know, it wasn't yeah, like a would. long-term thing. So, yeah, Flair was the is the is the the obvious answer there. I would suggest, and maybe Harley Race as well. Was he was he mainly a heel? Feel yeah, like I think so. Yeah. So maybe yeah. Harley Race too, but but certainly not in WWF. That's just no. not what they did historically. They just no. didn't do it. Uh, is it is bizarre? You know, because you're getting this long reign at this time, like a year, almost a year long. I mean, obviously. It, had this hiccup where Hogan beat him and then he had to beat him back at King of the Ring, but effectively a year, a year champion. And it was a strange period of time, but they did go in that direction though, Stephen. That's the weird thing. They did do it. It's just that they didn't do it with the people you're talking about. Yeah. So they did have Luger. They did have Undertaker. They did have Brett. And they were the three biggest stars in the company and they were all protected. And then 95 comes along Undertaker, Brett, Diesel, Shawn Michaels. They're all baby faces. They're all mm. main event guys. There's no heels. That's yeah. why Mabel ended up bloody going in the main event at SummerSlam. Like there's just there's just nothing. There's just no heel. So I've, I think they did go in that d- direction. It's just that they I think that they didn't do it with maybe Hogan, for example, yeah. at, at the time. So next up, Todd Pettengill's back in the crowd with Natalie Cole, who I didn't know who she was at the time. I've since done a bit of Wikipedia. She was some kind of singer um, from the past. I, I don't know anything about, about her. I've not. Um, apparently, she was Nat King Cole's daughter. That's what I do now. And I, I am I'm partial to a bit of Nat King Cole. So um, fair enough. We, he's also with the CEO of Caesars Palace, Dan Reichhartz or something like that. I wrote his name down, but I wrote it so badly in my handwriting I can't actually read what I've said now, but I think it's something like that. Todd kept touching him. <laughs> Why was he touching him? He had his hand on his shoulder the whole time. It's like, just you don't have to touch me to interview me. Like, like go away. There was something also about Todd here where I felt like he he did bring a bit of something to WWE, which I don't think was really there. Like there was a there was a touch of the if you want to go back to Saved by the Bell, actually, there was a touch of the Zach about him compared to everybody else. Not not in terms <laughs> of not in terms of not in terms of what he was like, not in terms of his character, but just the way he looked. Like he, he had the he had the backwards baseball cap on, he had the shades on. There's just this sense of someone I don't know, it's like Bart Simpson Bart Simpson's probably a better one. Almost like the Bart Simpson of the commentary team. I know what you mean. All the rest yeah, are yeah. older guys who are a little yeah. bit like balding and goodness knows what else overweight. Here's Todd looking like a little bit more of a cooler, you could imagine him being on MTV kind of guy, sort of like, you know, bringing something youthful to the product, which in large part in the announcer side of things was not in any way youthful. 
you know what? Actually, you're you're not Todd Pettengill is if Zach Morris went to he did it. Zach Morris is basically he's done a season in Ayanapa, then he's done a season in Thailand, then he's back and done another season in Ayanapa, and then he's then he's joined the WWF, <laughs> and that is basically what he is, isn't it? Because I, yeah, I do actually thinking about it, the vibe's kind of similar, isn't it? That kind of cheeky California yeah. style sort of thing. Yeah, I get I get that. Yeah, and and I just and he and he he does freshen up what is a pretty tired announced even with jim ross like obviously jim ross mm. has been around for fucking ever as, as well obviously on the other on the other show but ultimately he's been around for ages monsoon's still kind of doing little bit little bits and pieces bobby heenan's there savage who's been around for ages as well so he just todd just brings a just a little bit of freshness and modernity to the whole thing i think uh, next up, Gene Oakland is backstage with Mr. Perfect. Per- Perfect says he's on a roll this week. He's hit a hole in one. He's hit the jackpot at the casinos. And then he can't pronounce the narcissist Lex Luger, so he gives up and walks away. <laughs> he, did on, he did that on purpose. He, he was trying to say Lexicist. <laughs> I don't believe he was, to be honest, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> well, he coined a genius term if he wasn't there. And as soon as I heard that, I thought, wow. Lexicist. And he just walked away because he just couldn't couldn't get it right. So I'm just gonna go to the ring now, forget it. He's like <laughs> basically like I was half expecting Gino Clinton turn around and goes, Hey, we're live, pal, because it just <laughs> it was like come finish this off. This leads to another match which I think probably shouldn't have happened at this show. Lex Luger versus Mr. Perfect. It's a match that lasts for just over well, nearly eleven minutes. Uh it ends when Mr. Perfect going for a backslide, he's overpowered by Luger. Luger puts him into a backslide, but as he does the backslide, Perfect's feet are clearly the ropes but the referee doesn't see it and Luger gets the pin after the match Luger hits him with a forearm and knocks him out based on the fact that Luger had a metal object in in his arm um this is obviously a legacy of Luger's motorcycle accident which had happened the previous year which kept him from competing at the World Bodybuilding Federation events which is why he never ended up competing at all for the WBF despite being signed specifically for that thing and then WBF deciding or Titan Sports sorry deciding to get their money's worth and so made him a wrestler instead and uh yeah this this that's the match but the reason i say it shouldn't have happened is that this should have been flair versus perfect this mm. th- this should have been rick flair versus mr perfect but for some reason vince has decided to tell flair don't worry you we're not going to use you again i just i don't get it yeah i completely agree this this is this was a strange one because again you've got you've got the whole bad bad finish going on here haven't you i mean to go back to the start savage and bobby heenan enjoyed luger's entourage as much as a horrible 11 year old pervert aka me did him back in 1993 <laughs> perfect was actually assaulted by one of luger's ladies when he came down which i thought was uh, was not very nice a little little chest rub which i don't think he consented to again i thought this was mostly boring the finish was a, abysmal they did a finish where perfect's feet was in the rope were in the ropes just after the ref had broken up the same thing it's just like come on this is so such 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 bad storytelling and then they the angle afterwards they set up michael's a perfect which again perfect didn't win it's like why like michael's it got vince's ear already like he just doesn't lose he does not lose doesn't lose i wish brett didn't lose <laughs> yeah they, they, there wasn't a lot to this one either was there it was another one that uh yeah, you know, I completely agree. Didn't really have much of a place on the card. And yeah, you know, you're right there, Stephen. I mean, the, the announcers drooling over the ring girls was a bit uh, was a bit cringe at the start. But what, what can I say about it? Mr. Perfect, you know, he bumped all over the place to again try and make Lex look good. But yeah, they, there wasn't a whole lot to it. it. It was there. It was fine. Now, we all also had earlier on in the show been told that Luger had at the WrestleMania brunch, which is the second time we've encountered the WrestleMania brunch, which I wish was still a thing. I don't know. I've been to one. You have been? What was that? What year was that? Uh, It was WrestleMania 19. 
and the highlight was someone said so there was a Q&A and the wrestlers weren't all that amazing I think Big Show was up there and someone was like Big Show why are you why are you so shit basically it wasn't quite like that <laughs> Big Show's response was I've got a big fat bank account so I don't give a fuck and this is in front of a lot of families at this wow. this brunch and the food was absolutely shocking it was shocking we were standing at the standing at the W Hotel in Seattle which might be the best breakfast i've ever had and then i left there where i had a free breakfast paid for i went to the wrestlemania brunch and I had cold you know parmente potatoes cold little potatoes a bit of shitty american bacon when it's all like crusty and not nice and it was just awful absolutely shocking so yeah that i've i've been to i think that might have been the last one actually well it wouldn't surprise me if big show had been more controversial and whatnot. <laughs> yes. um so basically big show big... was on the on the thing as well actually sorry i just remembered i don't i don't remember much he said someone said something about him being injury prone as well so it was quite a quite a tough crowd at that wrestlemania brunch yeah he was always sensitive to that topic was, yeah. <laughs> so basically big show and randy orton's fault that we don't get the brunch anymore but at yes. this particular brunch bret hart apparently had been knocked out by luger with this forearm so luger was all over the place and they were they were push, pushing him big as a heel um during this period and i wonder if they baked in that stuff with luger and brett to explain further brett's loss to yokozuna or that was an attempt. They didn't make yeah. enough of it, I didn't think, in no. the main event, though, to, to actually, for it to be operative in any way. But I, I struggle to know what they were hoping to do with Luger long term, to be honest, because they didn't see this through at all. Obviously, it was June when, or July, when Luger finally turned babyface on the USS Intrepid, slamming Yokozuna and then challenging him for the title at SummerSlam. But I don't know where they were going with him as a heel. It was almost like it felt like they were this was a placeholder because they decided to let Flair go and they wanted Perfect to and Bobby Heenan ultimately to continue their feud. And so this was the best way to do it was to have Luger sort of go up against Mr. Perfect. But I don't know what, what they had planned for Luger long term. No, it's all, it's all very messy, isn't it? Because you think... Mm. Also, even Luger not winning the title at SummerSlam. And I wouldn't have done that because I would have had Brett in there still as champion. But if you're going to go that way, why are you holding that off to WrestleMania? I don't. And, it, and obviously they couldn't get they couldn't hold it off to WrestleMania because Brett would get better reactions and all that sort of stuff. And not the reason why he got the title at WrestleMania 10. But you can't even Luger celebrating that count out at SummerSlam made him look like an idiot. <laughs> I really did. I, yeah. I just you're absolutely right Ben. this is fascinating if I could if I could pick into the mind of Vince McMahon oh I wouldn't want to pick around in there too much really but get all the bad stuff away and just pick into his booking decisions and really go deep dive on this stuff in this period this is these are the few years you'd you'd want to do really I guess what 92 WrestleMania is probably through to Survivor Series 97 if you were going to pick a pick a, a five-year period of time fascinating yeah. stuff because there's so much that goes on in the in the company and it's just very very strange versus what came before and what came afterwards well you know we said on previous episodes of this podcast as well that during this period or prior to this period people didn't turn baby face and heel very much but in but of this crew they're all switching over you know ramon and luger become baby faces very very soon after the show Mm. even though they've not long been into the company so they're just they're kind of all over the place it just doesn't as i say it just feels like vince is second guessing himself all yeah. the time and just has lost confidence in it that would happen i suppose when you you've had this golden period and a formula that's worked so well for you and a set of stars that have 
sold huge amounts of pay-per-views uh, tickets and merchandise and suddenly business is dropping off and you don't know how to arrest the slide i guess you would start double you double thinking yourself and second guessing yourself i think this is the point and um what was it memphis used to do half jerry jarrett half jerry lawler booking but mm. this is the point in time where vince needed some help and i know watts came in for a little bit around this time and i think this is it there's obviously in in um in vince's mind and watts love bret hart obviously clearly a good judge of uh, talent but that, that's what you needed. And actually, the company didn't really turn around until, um, I hate to say it, Russo and Ferrara came with Vince over overviewing. Now, that's probably what Tony Khan needs now. And and who that is, I don't know. Whether it's a Gabe Sapolsky, he's in WWE now, isn't he? So I guess that's not probably the the, the, the name. But there must be someone out there that's booked some, some wrestling. Andy Corden, the guy that books RevPro, could do a probably good job of it. Go in there, get someone like that and get some ideas but tony khan's got the sales so tony khan plays the vince mcmahon role rather than trying to book the television and i think that's that's where you get the filter but there's tony khan hasn't got a filter and vince in this this time as you say he just wasn't sure of himself he, and he, he'd been so sure of himself and created so much good stuff and i wonder whether some of this goes back to the warrior perhaps ben perhaps that that that's the first chink mm. in his armor really i suppose yeah i, th- I think i think that's probably i thought it's probably right his instinct for the warrior was off basically yeah. and i think that after that he he started to question those instincts a little bit he did have support yet Bruce Pritchard at times and Jim Cornette came in obviously and and various others Patterson, I suppose, Pat well, Patterson yeah. yeah but but it just it wasn't it wasn't the same I think when you you mentioned Memphis there I, I can't remember who it was someone was I, I remember many many years ago listening to someone talk about the fact that what they used to do is they used to it might not be Memphis but it was certainly one of the territories they used to bring in a, a booker and they'd only do it for sort of 18 months and then they'd say right we need somebody else Mid-South, regardless of how was. good regardless of how good it was because ultimately yeah. they knew you'd, you'd burn out after 18 months yeah. you'd not, and you need someone to come in with new ideas fresh fresh perspective and goodness what else who would change the booking rhythm of the yeah. company they change who they were pushing because it just freshened everything up and it's something that wrestling's got away from because of the long tenure of Vince really more than anything else and there therefore when you you know when you when new people come into the sort of world of pro wrestling or start to run their own stuff they kind of think that's the thing that's done is that you mm. just have to keep going for as long as as you can but it's just not historically wasn't really the way it was done no, no definitely not so next up gorilla monsoon says there is plenty more to come he then talks about the two big matches that are left in the night which is obviously the main event and uh, and the match we've got next up this was really Gorilla Monsoon's only contribution to the show as host. Um, and clearly, as I said, they, they were moving Monsoon away from some of the uh, the on-screen stuff because it just he was getting on a little bit. And I think he wanted to move away from it all. So the only match we've got left to cover is Undertaker versus Giant Gonzalez. The Undertaker's third match in his streak. We're going to we're going to harp on the streak, I think, all the way through here, because I think um, I, especially in the early years, it's interesting that it even happened. We, we spoke at WrestleMania 8 about how I think if the plans for WrestleMania had gone ahead, they wouldn't have had a streak. So I think the Undertaker would have fought Sid and lost. So this is another one where you could easily have seen Undertaker lose here because this feud they wanted to continue on the way they finished this match so let me go through it it's seven and a half minutes of utter terrible action like <laughs> the worst action you'll ever get uh, at which point Whippleman throws something to Gonzalez and he forces it into Taker's face it's a, it's a cloth with what we are told is probably chloroform and Taker goes down and out but the referee disqualifies Gonzalez but had they wanted to continue this feud you could easily see the DQ going the other way around no problem at all or a count out going the other way especially given the way Matt that they had a penchant for that so it's a miracle that he even had a streak even after at, at, at three and oh Stephen, what did you make of the the match? 
as, as you said, my first note is they must have some come so close to take a losing here, like whatever, whatever way. But yeah, so we wouldn't have got the streak and the streak became a really key part of WrestleMania in late as we all know. Um, there was a sign in the crowd that said rot in peace. Rot in peace? Is that? <laughs> that doesn't really work, does it? So you're just no. sort of sitting there very peacefully with like your skin flaking and like maybe a limb falling off. Rot in hell might work. Or, or, yeah. Or, or <laughs> rot in piss maybe. I don't know. But rot in peace doesn't work. Vince should have rot in piss after this uh, this show. Uh, another bit of animal cruelty with a poor vulture st- strapped down on his feet. Uh, uh, you know, classic bit of WWF stuff in the, in the 80s and 90s. Uh, there was a chop early on in this that missed by half a foot and Gonzalez sold it like he was trying to fight off a sneeze, which I thought was quite amusing. <laughs> this was another great finish on a night of great finishes. Just dire, dire, dire waste of time, waste of life. What a pile of shit this was. <laughs> yeah. What the fuck do you say about this? Um, it, it was so bad. It's the first and hopefully only time I will ever see Giant Gonzalez because... No, 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 Matt. You've seen Giant Gonzalez before. When? Famously. Famously, you've seen Giant Gonzalez before when in his it? alter ego in WCW. What, what's, what's that guy called? Oh, for fuck's sake. <laughs> <laughs> what's his name? What's his name, Matt? I Tell can't his remember his name. You, you can remember his name. El Giga. El Giga. I can't fucking do it. <laughs> I like that. That's very, yeah. That's, El Gigante. Uh, El, El Gigante. It's not that hard. Oh. Come on. <laughs> that is shocking. Oh, my God. Yes, I have. That was one of my favorite moments ever, by the way, on the podcast, is when you couldn't <laughs> pronounce it. And I don't know what. The last time you went, El Giga. El Giga. Ever oh, thank you so much for bringing that back. Well, yes, I do. You, I I wouldn't even have thought about it if you hadn't said I've never seen him before. And I was like, you have. You've, you've seen him actually. <laughs> well, hopefully after this, this will be the last time I ever have to see him because, good God, is he not any good? It was about as slow and plodding a match as you've ever seen. Nothing to it. The chloroform finish. I mean, okay, yeah, what, <laughs> what the hell? I mean, we, you know, what, what, why bother out wrestling the man when you can use a chloroform cloth and potentially kill them? This, this was shit. It wasn't any good. The Undertaker's entrance was probably the the, the coolest thing. Um, I mean, yeah, I, I get what you're saying with the animal cruelty, but I, I kind of felt that the vulture was the only sort of cool bit that it made Taker look cool. Yeah, other than that, this sucked don't don't bother with it like i said just just here let's talk about it instead yeah after the match gonzalez obviously has had and take her out and then um taker is taken away on a on a stretcher gonzalez taunts the crowd and the crowd are chanting for hogan this might have been a better place for hogan than when he does does pop up at the end of the show and uh then instead of getting hogan though undertaker gets off his uh, stretcher and runs back into the ring and clears giant gonzalez away which i thought was a really silly way to continue a feud that you think you're going to get more sort of mileage out of until SummerSlam. Surely the way to go is that Undertaker doesn't reappear and Gonzalez is a conqueror of some kind, at least until you have that SummerSlam match. But whatever. But yeah, they, they, as you say, Stephen, they could have come. They were, they must have thought about let's just have Undertaker disqualified. So, yeah, that that's everything. That's everything that's on this show. Uh, you, the other thing, Stephen, I want to I go back to what you said about. Uh, there old, is two more things, actually. But go oh, on with what you're. Well, uh, we'll go on with this first. Yeah. I want to go back to your theory about Skinner having to sit under the ring for all that time. Oh, because, yeah. First of all, it was only the third match. The two longest matches of the night had happened, or at least two of the longest matches already happened. We're already about we're already about 40 minutes into the show. And the show only lasts two hours, 40 minutes. 
So it okay. wasn't that long under the ring. So I think we would be right. I think we've been spared the shit from Skinner, <laughs> but not from Vince's booking. That was still very much present. Yes. What were these other two things, Stephen? Oh, so, so so there was just Gene Oakland backstage with Puke Hogan. Uh, yeah, Hogan yeah. called. Yeah, so you're right. Gene Oakland's backstage. He introduces, first of all, he introduces footage of Yokozuna destroying Duggan with yeah. his bonsai drop, which I, I genuinely think is a really effective angle at the time. Sunday morning on Superstars, and he's got blood coming out of his mouth. It, it did work really well. Then we see footage of the contract signing between Hart and Yokozuna, where Yokozuna attacks uh, Bret Hart and Banzai drops him. Um, and then we get Oakland speak to Hulk Hogan. And Hogan Hogan says that he's just left Bret Hart's dressing room and told him that the Hulkamaniacs are with him. Hogan says that he was attacked outside the gym last night, talking about and trying to explain away that black eye that Randy Savage obviously was the one who delivered to him. He warns Hart to watch Yokozuna and Fuji. He says he and the Hulkamaniacs are behind him. Hogan issues a challenge to the winner of tonight's match. Scum. <laughs> he, he did it in such a polite way as well. I, I don't know if anybody caught the uh, the very nice wording that, that, that he used, basically saying that, um, in fact, I've got it written by you, that he used a challenge to Brett or the Jap. I was like, oh, that's nice. Yeah, not not great. You're right. There is one other thing, Stephen. I've I've missed. It's Todd Pettengill in the crowd. <laughs> he starts by insulting a very a young fan, saying that he is Prince Charles and he's got his ears. The the kid has no idea what he's talking about. I don't think he even knows who Prince Charles is, which I, is fair enough. He's probably an American. Why would you know who the the second in who who the first in line, sorry, to the to the throne is at that time? And then he talks to a pair of idiots that have obviously completely drunk and you know I don't know what they're saying. I didn't yeah. even take any notes about it. But yeah. Well, they- Plants is the only thing I wondered. I don't know. Maybe Todd Pettengill's. I reckon they were probably Todd Pettengill's best mates. And they just thought yeah. I'd trade that on. <laughs> if you were Todd Pettengill's best mates, you just got absolutely hammered at WrestleMania then got on it. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. You shoved a kid out of the way to, to get to them as well. Like, you noticed there was a kid who was like sort of in the shot. He just pushed him out the way. Oh. And I was like, what the fuck? That was amazing. <laughs> The, the kid thing was so bad because he did have big ears and he didn't even then tell Pettingle made fun of him not speaking. This poor kid like that. Imagine if you were that kid and you're going back to school and your schoolmates had seen this on WrestleMania. Like that is bad. That's bad. Yeah, that is terrible, terrible, terrible. I don't think it was likely that, that they'd seen it because nobody was watching it at the time, Steve. No, that is true. <laughs> So that really is everything on this show, WrestleMania 9. We've we've got through everything. So it's time to give our, so our overall thoughts and our ratings out of 10. I don't think either of you have given your match tonight's or MVPs so far. I'll give you my MVP because I've given you my match tonight. My MVP for the night is Bobby Heenan because I was struggling to find anybody who deserved it. And Bobby Heenan was about the funniest thing on this show, really just from the very start when he came in on the camel backwards. That was already enough for me to find Bobby Heenan the MVP. Um, I'll give my overview and thoughts in a moment. Matt, why don't you go first? Okay, um, I think you're not going to be surprised that my match of the night is the opener with Shawn Michaels and Tatanka. I'm kind of struggling for an MVP, so I'm kind of going to go with a bit of an easy choice. And because I really, really enjoyed that match so much, do you know, I'm actually going to give it to Tatanka as, as, as you know, something different as well. Because let's face it, the poor bugger, he's never getting an MVP of the night off me ever again. So well done, Tatanka. As for an overall number for the entire card. Now, this is where I think I might differ. I have a funny feeling you guys might be going quite low. But I thought the first half of the show was actually shaping up to be pretty good. And when I sort of read reviews afterwards um, of even the first half of the show, I was actually quite taken aback. So the first half of the show was pretty good. And then, OK, to be fair, I kind of felt the second half, it definitely did drop off a bit of a cliff. So to reflect that, I'm going to give it a five out of ten. Cool. 
Stephen. Interesting. Uh, match tonight, Sean Michaels versus Tonka, just above Brett. I didn't really talk about the Brett match very much. I thought he did such a good job in that match, and the crowd were really solidly behind him, even though the finish was so bad with him looking so weak. We've just basically been rolled, kind of pinned, but after a sort in the eye of no move. I, I don't know how he agreed for that creative. But Brett's still getting my MVP. Cunt of the night, joint winners, Hulk Hogan and Vince McMahon. And... <laughs> This was every bit as bad as WrestleMania 2. I thought more often than not, ranging between boring and just nonsensical, this is a terrible night for WWF. And I think this is a lot about what they presented and a lot about where they were going and what they decided to do here. Uh, And I'm going to give this 3 out of 10. That about balances it all because I'm going for 4 out of 10. I didn't think it was quite as bad as I thought it was going to be, to be honest. And I kind of agree, Matt, because the first 40 minutes... It's very decent, very decent. Those first two matches, which are the longest on the show, I think. I mean, the Hogan match, I think, goes for about as long as the Steiners match. But basically, the two longest matches on the show. And you're like, you get to the end of them, you're like, this is going to, this could be a cracking little show. This could be excellent. And then, yeah, it just falls off a cliff. Crush, Undertaker, Giant Gonzalez, Hogan, Beefcake, DiBiase, IRS, the whole lot of Razor Ramon, Bob Backlund, a lot of them can just go. I mean, there's just no need for any of it, as far as I'm concerned. You're right, Brett does his best in that match with Yokozuna. And I, look, I'm a big fan of Yokozuna. I think he's a really decent wrestler for his size. The problem was, is that as time went on, Vince pressured him to put more more weight on. He wanted him to be bigger and bigger and bigger. And at that point, Yokozuna couldn't, couldn't do anything. But, mm. but at this point, he was actually a fine wrestler. And Brett did a good job of, there's another bit in that, I haven't got the exact quote in front of me, but there's another bit in that 35 years of WrestleMania book where Brett talks about how he sort of managed Yokozuna through those matches that they had. And the key was to give him moments where he could rest. And so he would do something else that would allow Yokozuna to rest. So I, I don't mind the main event, but the rest of it, the whole of the rest of it is just is just worthless, really. Um, so if you get a four out of ten, Steiner's for first century because match tonight for me and Heenan um, MVP. So that gives us a rating of four overall. Um, row the average rating anyway for the show now i'm just going to quickly do some maths here and uh, get us to a point where we can see where that sits in terms of the the table of wrestlemania scores and it is just above wrestlemania 2 but below wrestlemania 4 so there you go it's the second lowest score we've seen so far on this uh, on this run of wrestlemania episodes the other thing i wanted to say before we go off the air the reason why i probably should have given this a three out of ten to be honest where the fuck is America the Beautiful? What the fuck is going <laughs> <Yeah>. on here? <laughs> the best the best bit about WrestleMania, and they haven't even got it. America the Beautiful is not even there. They haven't even got a replacement this year. They haven't even got like O Canada or the Star Spangled Banner or something else. No, nothing. It's just there's just no there's just no well, I just don't well, I'm my mind is blown. And they've got Natalie Cole on the bloody show as well. She could have done it. She could have bloody she well done, done it. Ridiculous. All about the Roman Empire, Caesar, all that shit this year. Oh, oh, fuck <laughs> off, yeah. Like I would got rid of all of that Roman Roman stuff just for America the Beautiful. That would have been perfect. So yeah, I'm disgusted by that. Anyway, that definitely brings us to the end of this particular show. Matt, thank you for joining me today. Pleasure as always, gents. And Stephen, thank you for your contributions as well. Thank you, and I cannot wait to watch an Iron Man match in my near future. (laughs) Well, before we get there, we've got WrestleMania 10 next week that's being reposted, and then WrestleMania 11 in two weeks' time, and then it'll be two weeks after that that we cover WrestleMania 12 with that uh, Iron Man match that you've just referred to. This has been the Random Wrestling Review. We'll be back again in a couple of weeks' time, but until then, take care.